This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Hand me a towel, I'm dirty dancing by myself. Gone off tabs of that acid. Form me a circle, watch my jagger. Might lose my jacket and hit a solo one time. We too loud in public, then police turned down a function. Now we outside and the time is perfect. Forgot to tell you, gotta tell you how much I vibe with you. And we don't gotta be solo. I stay away from highways My eyes like them red lights Right now, I prefer yellow Red bone, so mellow Fuck why be cutting you Think we were better off solo I got that act right in the windy city that night No trees to blow through But blow me and I owe you two grams in the sunrise It is December 2nd, 2017 And this is the return of Psychology is Dead after a five-month absence. Not exactly sure how long I've been gone, but it's been a very long time. I apologize for that. I'm still Quentin Moody, and it's the end of the year. We're almost well, we're very close to the end of the year. Got a whole month out of us. So, I decided that was, this would be a good time to do our top 50 wrestlers of the year um, list, like we did last year, with me, um, as he was last year. Um, for the festivities is Timothy from Lucha Undead. Timothy, it's been a very long time since we've been on the same uh, line doing any time any, any type of show. So how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's nice to first get. I was the first guest on the show. I'm the first guest on after the the hiatus. It's uh, perfect. And yeah, I think we had kind of planned we were gonna do this. Hopefully, try to keep it up annually. So even though you had been off, it was kind of like, well, we're doing this. And uh, I don't know about you, but doing it in you know November second or December second uh, almost feels like we're going by the observer calendar and including uh, <laughs> December. But I didn't include December of 2016 in my year. I mean, not that it really matters if we're being perfectly honest. But uh, I don't know. Did you? Did you? Did you include it? Or are you going just January until right now? Uh, yeah, like January until right now. Um, I think the only thing that had really changed um, by the time we got to December last year when we were doing our list was like maybe some Yosha Rai match happened that made her go up a few spots on my list, but. There's not really many Hail Marys I see happening um, going towards the end of this year. So right. I think what I have right now is a pretty good representation of what it would be like, you know, 30 days from now. So I don't really feel weird about having it like end at the start of December. Right. And I mean, this year has been weird for wrestling. I don't know about you, but for me, 2017 kind of came in like a lion, went out like a like a lamb, as they say. Uh because I thought it was super hot early in the year, lots of great work. When I went back over through my kind of uh, spreadsheet of star ratings, there's guys who I was thinking low of because of their output recently. And then when I went back to look at matches from earlier in the year, I'm kind of like, oh, this guy's got a lot of four plus star matches. He actually deserves a pretty decent spot, even though I wasn't thinking highly of him because he hasn't done much in the past few months. I don't know if you had a similar kind of experience with the wrestling in general this year. Yeah, there's only a few guys on here that made my list that when I was plotting it out and um, writing down names and seeing who would wind up where, I would get to a certain person's name and be like, wow, I really love them to start the year. 
And then as the year goes on, it's either they didn't get as many opportunities or they just weren't delivering um, what I what I wanted or expected. So that led to them being lower than um, maybe I would have uh, predicted in like March of 2017 or even April. But um, needless to say that a lot of people, a lot of those guys still made the, still made my list and that we'll be talking about them uh, whenever we get to them. But uh, to reference last year's festivities, um, is there that much um, crossover from your list last year? Or do you think this was uh, like a pretty big overhaul with a lot of new names? I mean, there's definitely some crossover. Um, I could, I didn't, I should probably have just pulled up last year's list, which I'll do really quickly. But there's definitely some crossover. There's definitely some guys who were just like super obvious. I keep saying guys. There's definitely some wrestlers. I guess I'll say workers, even if it'll make MLJ upset. Um, there's some workers that uh, that definitely were just. Kind of, there's no way to argue with them being on the list. There was a few kind of monumental drops, as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that I was workers that I was really upset to see that they were just so low this year compared to last year. Um, some people who made some big strides moved their way up the list for sure. Um, it was definitely a topsy turvy year, and I think. I mean, we, everyone's kind of talked about it. It's the elephant in the room, and that's not a, a body image joke for anybody uh, out there who might think it is. But is you know, for me, I think, and for a lot of people, the number one wrestler of last year, uh, the number two wrestler for me, uh, disappeared. You know, and that's gonna shake up the landscape of wrestling a lot. I mean, it's really going to affect it. Then there's a lot of people who got injured, a lot of people that were out, a lot of people who. Uh, missed big chunks of the year due to contract issues, contract negotiations, signing contracts with WWE, meaning that you're just kind of pretty much gone. Um, or even like mixing in the case that, of like you know, someone that did get signed like halfway through the year, and if, even if they were having a really good year before that, they would now wind up taking like four or five months off for the rest of the year because they're not on TV or anything. Right, and people who I mean, Pete Dunne is like a huge one. He was. My number four last year, and he got signed this year, but that wasn't even necessarily getting signed kind of created the issue. But then the big issue was that he was just a totally different wrestler after he got signed. A lot of kind of stale angles, uh, missing big chunks of his career because he's not working in Rev Pro as much. Um, if at all, due to that, you know, the contract with WWE. So, I mean, he was just missing in action. And then when he was showing up, it was stat- like kind of in stasis, jokey stuff. That really affected his output a lot for a guy who I was super high on last year. So, there's yeah, there's stuff like that. And then, I mean, I don't know. We're going to do – I'll just mention it because it kind of fits with what we're talking about. Honorable mention-wise, I mean – the one guy who fits into this category, who's my honorable mention, my one honorable mention that I had to bring up is Kid Lycus. I wanted him on the list so badly, but he got injured so much this year that right anytime he kind of got going, he was gone for big chunks of time. And unfortunately, uh, he had a breakout year and he would be really high up there based on where Chris Brooks ended up and them being, you know, working together so much, plus him having great singles matches on his own. But because he, you know, I just felt like he kept stalling. He kept missing out on a lot of his um, opportunities. He kept, because of injuries, because of 
not showing up in Rev Pro early on, you know, just a lot of stuff like that really affected his year. And he's a guy who I really would have loved to have on my top 50 here, but he ends up just outside. I mean, he's somewhere in the, in the sixties, you know, and that's really being injured so much. Um, a few of my honorable mentions since you got yours, I'm out the way. Um, one that I think I wound up having a really high opinion on his year, but I just couldn't squeeze him on. He's actually my 51 is, um, Jimmy Havoc. I thought Jimmy Havoc had a pretty damn good year. Um, from the yeah. feud ender, from the feud ender with Osprey, um, just, um, going all over the progress cards, even if he wasn't having some kind of, um, meaningful role with a lot of direction. He wasn't the big tyrant in the company like he used to be. But I think that showed the variety that he had, that he could easily just go down the card and have good matches with um Jigsaw or Mark Haskins or team with Mark Haskins or have a fun match with Travis Banks at Super Strong Style 16. Like um at chapter 57, he just had a phenomenal tag match with Mark Haskins against Jack Sexsmith and Matt Riddle. Like Jimmy Havoc gets um I don't know. I feel like we just don't really give Jimmy Havoc enough credit for being like a really good all-around wrestler. And in his um year being downsized and not being emphasized as a top card um act in any promotion, he showed a lot of range this year. Yeah, and I can definitely see that. I mean, I would I he didn't make my list and he was a tough cut for me as well. Um you know, my you mentioned the 51, so it makes me just want to say it. My 51 kind of falls into the same vein, but it's like he's the reason why is because he's at the start of his career, but very similar to Jimmy Havoc, Drew Parker is my 51. Like I wanted, I would love to have him on my list, but he's not quite there yet. But you know, he had a really awesome year for a young guy who's kind of dipping his toe in the deathmatch scene and all this. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's kind of like two ends of the same coin. There's so much good wrestling this year, but in a lot of ways, I don't know about you, but did it kind of feel like there's like 20 workers that were having all the great matches this year? Like, it really felt like there was kind of a bottleneck of uh, a lot of the promotions are using all the same guys, yeah. and those same guys are really only wrestling each other, and they're the only ones who are having really great matches. Yeah, I definitely see that, um, especially when it comes to like the guy that will like be like to, towards the higher ends of our list, obviously, since they just had more oppor- opportunities to have great matches and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it was something I noticed a lot where I was going to my match of the year list, and I don't think I'm someone that's like particularly like bias towards like certain wrestlers like i like what i like and i'm not gonna like um feel shamed about it but when i'm looking at it and i don't feel like i give people like the same fair opportunities to impress me i'm looking at wow i didn't really get to squeeze that many different names onto my match of the year document and i'm someone that prides themselves on like giving people opportunities to impress me and like big up things that aren't that maybe aren't getting as much praise or buzz as they should be but this year just wasn't that many people I thought that broke through to me and left a big impression. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that was really it. It was a, it was a weird year because there was a huge vacuum at the top, like I talked about with Chris Hero being gone. And then it really felt like no one person came out and plugged that hole. But like, yeah, like 20 to 30 like workers essentially just filled that same role across the board everywhere and we're just having like all the all the good matches and there was a lot of same which is kind of insane to me is like there was a lot of rematches there was a lot of touring matchups there was a lot of that and you would think that you know when you're getting into the era 
of every wrestling company having a streaming service or a VOD or whatever, that more of these companies would be looking to book first-time matches, but it seems to be the opposite. I mean, the only people who seem to care about booking first-time matches right now seem to be beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, PWG tries to, but even they miss it at this point. And, uh, and AIW, just for booking like wild, weird matches, and everyone else doesn't seem to mind just booking the same rematches over and over again. So, I think um, um, ask one more question before we get into the list proper. I asked this last year when we did our list, but um, are there any major blind spots for you this year that um, that came with your viewing, and where can we expect to see some like notable names missing, like due to those like, uh, due to that lack of viewing? I mean, jo- Joshi yeah. obviously has been a real problem for me this year. Um, that's not to say that I don't have any you know women on my list because I do have a couple. Uh, but I just I know that there could be more, um, and even the women I have, I'm kind of like I feel like w- did really well and broke out, but even they probably could have been appreciated more. And I kind of I definitely missed the ball on that. Um, and then same as last year, I guess WWE. I mean, I just I think I've watched even less WWE this year than I did last year. So um, I don't think I have anyone on my list who's a WWE worker, and that I mean that's gonna to some people because there was a lot of good wrestling in the WWE from what I hear. I've watched very few matches. I know AJ had some good matches. I know Braun broke out. Roman's always good. But I just couldn't do it, man. There was too much to watch. There was too much going on. And it was just a time suck. It wasn't worth it to me. Um, the company is just its mismanaged, obviously. It's got its issues. And I hate to even make it political, but the involvement with Trump and all that kind of makes me even less wanting, like inclined to give them any of my money. Right. Um, like politics are a big part of society right now. It's a big part of our country right now. And uh, just to know that they had that connection there, it's really tough. So um, I did cancel the WWE network and yes, I still do review NXT every week, but uh, we'll just pretend that NXT still plays on Hulu. And I, I do subscribe to Hulu. I think it does actually uh, still play on there. So we'll just say that's where I've been watching it. But um but yeah, I, I just can't. Uh, I can't, in good conscience, like give money to them, and I just don't have the time. There's so much other wrestling, so that's kind of my blind spot. The Joshi, that's my fault. Um, I was watching a good amount of Joshi early in the year, but uh, when everything else kind of t- went to the back seat, Joshi's always ends up being at the bottom of my list. But Quentin, what about you? Do you got any uh, blind spots or notable names that'll be missing? Uh, yeah, definitely. In regards to Joshi, I didn't get around to watching as much as I wanted to this year. Um, so that kind of hurts me. That hurts me that I'm not gonna have um names like a Michael Satamora, um, like a Jihiro Hashimoto, like a Hiroyo. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not, I don't want to butcher her name, but um, um, Matsumoto and um Sendai Girls and um other promotions like that. Um, this might be surprising to some people as um I hosted a Lucha podcast for a long time, but because Lucha was just so fucking boring this year, I couldn't like realistically put anyone from Mexico on my list. I mean, if we're counting guys that like work primarily in the U S Indies, then one of them made my list. But as far as like Mexico based guys, nobody made my list. Cause I just thought this was a very boring and dry year from Lucha from a match quality standpoint. Um, I've watched less WWE than I ever have. Um, I watched most of the pay-per-views. I watched all of the NXT specials, but Pretty much no TV. So 
even if I have a few WWE acts on my list, they're not like super high. Um, Ring of Honor, I've seen like no Ring of Honor this year. So that is not going to be a factor at all when it comes to my list. But uh, that's it. I'd like to think I've had like a pretty good um, amount of viewing squeezed in between uh, a whole bunch of different regions. But those things you won't, you'll barely see any representation for on my list. Right. And uh, see, I did watch a good amount of Ring of Honor for the first half of the year, but I'm like looking over my list and I'm like, nobody here made their case on Ring of Honor and very few people um, even appeared in Ring of Honor. You know what I mean? A couple of them definitely had matches there, but I wouldn't say I have a single person here who made their case in Ring of Honor. And and from my watching, the only person who came close was um, Punishment Martinez, and he's at 59 for me right now. outside of the top 50 as a guy who uh who would have made his name based solely on ring of honor so uh yeah that's that's kind of uh where that company is at uh lucha obviously the same thing i did watch some lucha this year but just like i did watch a good amount of deathmatch this year um it's not going to be showing up in my top 50 because it just doesn't speak to me um and yeah i i mean this year i went all in on that and i think I think that might have been right before I kind of started to slow down and miss everything. So maybe I learned my lesson for next year to not go all in on the on the deathmatch. But I watched pretty much every American deathmatch tournament this year, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was some good stuff in there. Honestly, just for just for straight up violence and gore. But uh, but it was definitely hard, and it did kind of take it out of me. I think a little bit. The only one I watched in full this year was um, tournament survival. I never got around to watching the Nick Gage Invitational or anything else. So I think because that was the best one with the tournament survival. Yeah, no, no, the the Nick Gage Invitational was the best one. Yeah, I might get around to watching it before the year is out. But uh, yeah, I enjoy them, the tournament survival a lot, and I I didn't have the same problem of like going all in on the death matches. So I wonder if I would have the same problem if I would have did the same thing you did, just like letting Gus very possible. Yeah, it was very, very possible. But the, the Nick Gage Invitational was nice because it had um, it had Ciclope and uh, there was another there was another guy that wasn't just Violento Jack. I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, but yeah, there was another oh Medio Extremo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they both were they were awesome. They brought some real crazy shit in there mixed in with the Lucha stuff. And I and I'm kind of like oh maybe I should be watching more like DTU or something because. Maybe they got some good stuff going on there, but i probably not going to go out of my way to watch that, honestly. All right, so now to get into the actual list itself, uh, we're going to be going um, in three parts here. Um, last year's, um, last year we went three parts, but it wasn't planned that way. Now that we have like an actual <laughs> plan for this, we're going to do um, 20 in this installment, so um, 50 to uh, 30 or 29 or whatever. Um, the next, the next 20 on the other episode and then the final 10. So, Tim, uh, do you want to start us off here? Yeah, I'll start off my number 50 and I, I might come across like a, a little, not disingenuous, but I think some people could kind of pick apart my whole, like, I real feel really bad because I couldn't get Drew Parker on the list and stuff like that with uh, my number 50. Um, but honestly, I mean, he was in what was hands down my, my favorite live match this year. Um, everything else he did was fantastic, even if there wasn't a lot, um, because he's just, he works, he's kind of right now with, uh, with his, his sensei, with his master being gone. He's really, to me, 
the uh, kind of the old man, uh, kind of the standing in the wind, the benchmark for the shoot for the shoot style that I really like. Um, he really brings that style. It's Josh Barnett at my number fifty, um, just because even though he barely had four matches in uh, two thousand seventeen, two of which were in TNA, um, he uh, is fucking amazing. Um, did a lot of great training, obviously as well, but. What it comes down to for him, what makes him stand out is, like I said, the live my live match of the year against Jeff Cobb. Um, just fucking phenomenal grappling stuff. And he just showed an understanding and, and a way to work in the game that's just, like, phenomenal. Jeff Cobb is, you know, I'll give a slight spoiler. Jeff Cobb ends up in my top ten. So, uh, you know, he had what I think is Jeff Cobb's, one of Jeff Cobb's best matches this year. Um, so, you know, that goes up in there. And that was really... I, you know, it's a weird thing to say because Jeff Cobb in my top 10, but I put that more on Josh Barnett because he brought a style out of Jeff Cobb that was totally different than you've seen a lot of other matches and really produced this phenomenal match. So uh, it's kind of crazy. I think some people might say having a top 50 who's – he's not based on one match. The Bad Bones match was good too. The Lashley match was was also really good. Um, the the match in New against uh, – was it Suzukawa, I guess is how you pronounce, we would pronounce the name um, – I loved so all four of his matches were actually really really top flight stuff above four star matches for me, but um or I guess eh, I'd say the Bad Bones match was not four stars, but it was definitely really good. And then the Jeff Cobb match being like close to a five star, you know, without seeing it on tape, it's hard to say. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my number fifty. And I haven't seen any of the Josh Barnett stuff from this year. Um, granted, it's a very small sample size, but I was interested in checking out those. Um. Lashley and Bad Moms matches when um it was first announced that Josh Barnett would be um making the rounds in TNA. So if those are still um, yeah, and I went out of my way find, to watch yeah. all of them. Yeah, if I can find yeah, yeah if I can so find I, those, I can I'll probably watch them. But uh yeah, um that's an interesting pick. I didn't expect you to lead off with that actually, since you've been like talking so highly about Josh Barnett. I was kind of thinking you might have him higher. Oh no, no, there's no way I could get him any higher, honestly, uh, right. and feel even some semblance of okay with myself. So, yeah, he's he's bottom of the barrel here. All right, my number 50, you might have this guy higher, but my number 50 is Kane Justice. Oh, yeah, I've got him. Not, like, a lot higher, but I've got him higher, that's for sure. All right, so go my 49, then. My 49 is the guy that you were very upset that you couldn't squeeze onto your list, but it's Kid Mundi Lycos. So, um... I had said from, like, the onset of this year that Lycos was probably going to make my list and that Brooks wasn't. Now, I really enjoy Chris Brooks. I think he's a phenomenal talent, a great heel, a big personality. But I think in the end ring, he tends to kind of be lacking um, a lot of them, in, in some of the matches where whenever I watch a CCK match, I don't think Kid Lycos is ever the man behind I think Kid Lycos brings a personality. He brings the rowdiness. Um, he brings the great cutoffs and the ability to slow a match down, which is crazy for a guy like Lycos that's maybe like 5'4 and 130 pounds. Um, a tremendous flyer. Um, great pacing. Very smooth. Um, very athletic. He can keep up with guys like Osprey, um, like Ricochet. Um, guys in that nature where... Um, just because Kid Lycos wears this like kind of goofy bodysuit doesn't mean that he's just not, doesn't mean doesn't mean that he's not as talented as these guys. And I think that if he had um well obviously not got not been as hurt throughout the year, 
But if he had been able to work in places like Rev Pro, like um, Travis Banks and Chris Brooks were doing earlier this year, I think he'd be higher on my list because I think he's perfect for that setting where he can just go in there and um, argue with fans and be loud and be obnoxious. Um, I think he had good singles matches when Chris Brooks didn't really have them um, against Liguero, against Flash Morgan Webster, against Tyler Bate. And I can't really think of a good Chris Brooks singles match this year that happened. So that's what sets him apart. And the crazy thing about Lycos is this guy is like only 20 years old. Like Lycos has so, so many great years ahead of him, barring that he gets seriously hurt or that nagging injuries don't slow him down. But I thought this was a year that really solidified the fact that Kid Lycos is one of the most talented wrestlers on the planet. And even with a year where he is battling injuries and, uh, not getting booked in certain places to whatever due to whatever circumstances that you can't really hold this guy down. Yeah, and it it sucks for me again. It's it was really I really wanted to get him on there because this was like his breakout year, or you could be seen as like his breakout year. Um, and it just kind of got held back a little bit. Well, hopefully next year. Uh, you talk about he's only twenty, and it feels like he's already been wrestling. I mean, it feels like he's been wrestling longer than Tyler Bate even, and. You know, Tyler Bate is around the same age as him and kind of talked about as being like this wonderkin for how young he is. And Lycos is just about the same as him in pretty much every way when it comes to age, experience, and skill. He doesn't have the power game that Bate has, but he does make up for it with his super talented high flying that I think is majorly underlooked, underappreciated by a lot of people. Um, He just needs to stay healthy and... I mean, he oozes character and charisma and, and kind of the shut up Lycos thing has become this amazing kind of anti-gimmick of like he doesn't get to talk in the promos and it almost makes it work even more. I mean, honestly, it gets him almost more over uh, by not saying a word sometimes. So it's it's actually, uh, like I said, it was a bummer for me. Uh, I think it's absolutely criminal that you don't have Chris Brooks in your top 50 at all, personally. <laughs> um, I do think that he had some good singles matches, but I'll talk about that later when he does show up on my list. Yeah, I think I just remembered the good Chris Brooks singles match, but when I was coming up with the list, I was just like, I can think of like four for a kid like us. And then at the at the time, right. I can only think of like maybe one for Brooks. Well, what about multi-mans? Are you counting mm-hmm. like multi-man matches where he's not like in the, a tag? Um, yeah, like the scrambles and all that. Yeah, he's definitely been good at that. Yeah. But I was definitely just thinking more singles matches since that's like where you just, mm-hmm, since that's where you see, um, you know. What can you do when it's just you and one other person out there and how you control the crowd and everything like that? And, um, yeah, I just thought Lycos was very impressive because just based on his appearance, you wouldn't, like, think that the crowd would, like, take Lycos, like, that seriously. But when the guy goes out there and starts wrestling, and it's just and it's not just about the um, crowd participation and the banter anymore, and you just see him go out there and work and wrestle guys like Flash and have these exciting, awesome matches like, oh, shit, like, this really took me by surprise. And I think that's the part of Lycos that I really like, is that you can kind of, like, be took by surprise by how good he is sometimes. Right, and I can definitely see that. And I think, I don't know if I watched that Flash Morgan Webster match yet or not. I feel like I may have missed it, which might have helped him a little bit, but unfortunately, I missed that one. Do you want to do, do, want to do Snake Style, or you want me to just do my 49? You can do your 49. Okay. So my number 49 is, you talked about the his Invitational Tournament earlier, is Nick Gage. Um, on his first release from prison, I was kind of 
passive on it. I thought a lot of people were ironically being into him. I thought a lot of his matches were pretty sloppy and bad. Um, this year, like I said, watching a lot of Deathmatch um, kind of actually, I guess, did help make his case, um, honestly. Um, he's really kind of the star. He's kind of the ace of GCW. Um, he really feels like the, the most important guy there. Um, and he really holds holds up that company on his back. And GCW has been one of the better indies, honestly, this year. Um, putting on interesting matches, interesting, unique matchups, having cool stuff, a different feel than every other indie. So that really helps a lot. Um, but, I mean, when it comes down to it with Nick Gage, what makes his match, it's not his technical skill because that's barely there. Um, this year he was in a lot better shape. Um he was not as kind of having as many issues with sloppiness. It felt like his matches were staying um, a lot more like, yeah, just like a lot more professional, I guess you would say in his matches, but also had that twinge of danger. Um, the guy is just a fucking nutbag. And uh, just a couple days ago, he had a certified banger with uh, David Starr that was like, really, really fucking good. And like, just a really good match. Like it didn't, have to be that it was like a hardcore extreme match. It really was a just a good match with drama. Uh, they did use some barbed wire and stuff, but I mean, there was it was just a fucking fight, and it came across like a big nasty fight. And realistically, in a in a world right now in wrestling where so much of everything is the same, and almost nobody cuts a really a standout promo, it's like the best promos in wrestling right now are Stokely Hathaway and Nick Gage. Um, so I, that give, like, he gets a lot of credit for me for that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, my number 49 is Nick Gage. He's the fucking king. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to seeing that Davis Starr match yet. But knowing how versatile Davis Starr is, um, I would imagine he'd probably be one of those guys having a, um, one of Nick Gage's better matches or um, straight up matches, so to say. Um, well, well, and he also had a phenomenal match with John Grisham in the yeah. same weekend. So it was like, yeah, like John, Nick Gage like was Grisham just killing. Yeah. yeah, Nick Gage was just killing it that weekend, showing that he could kind of do everything. All right, so my 48, I'm not sure if you have this guy or not, since I think we're going to have a lot of the same people, since we watch a lot of the same stuff. Um, Mike Bird. Uh, I think he just missed out, too. Mike Bird is my 55, mm. so... I was trying to get him on there. I really I really liked a lot of what he did, but he was just outside. All right. So Mike Bird is a guy that you can just place him in any part of the card um, with a tag partner, with his tag partner on Wild Boar, um, as the Marauders. Um, in any promotion, he'll go out there and have a great match. He can have a, great, he can have a match of the night. He can have a match that just fills whatever time is required. Um, I feel like Mike Bird is just one of those ultimate role-playing guys and just uses his time perfectly. In his appearances in progress, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal, and I thought it was very strange that they were just using him and then just didn't give him anything to do. Um, great matches with Flash and Morgan Webster and Mark Haskins. Um, in progress, Cologne had a really awesome match with Walt with Walter. Um, in Pro Wrestling Chaos had a really awesome Atlas title match with Matt Riddle. An attack... Um, just countless, countless tag matches um, with Wild Boar um, against Bolarama, Aussie Open, multiple scramble matches, um, a great menacing, bruising tag team 
Um, and when he gets singles matches in attack, um, like the match against Speedball Mike Bailey from a couple of shows ago, I think he can absolutely tear the house down. And that's a match you just saw earlier today, right? Yeah, I just watched that today, and that was part of what was getting our bird almost on my list is just how great that match was. I mean, Jesus, the, some of the stuff in there was insane. I've never seen anything like the uh, the choke. He's got the choke and, and Speedball dives through the ropes to the floor. That was nutty. Yeah, so I think if Bird had more matches like that, we got to show off how good he is facing someone as world-class as Speedball. Um, he might have been able to jump a few spots higher, but just based off the singles matches that he was able to have and the great tag work, um, just in general, I love the way he works. Um, very snug. He can work on the mat. Um, he can work as a baby face. He can work as a really great heel. I just love everything Mike Bird does, and I think he's just one of the um, most um, valuable guys to have on a roster or to have in a promotion. Yeah, I mean, he fills a lot of different roles really easily. Uh, he was one of you know one of Ryan Smiles' best two matches this year were Mike Bird and and Riddle. So that's saying something. I'm putting him on that level of having such a phenomenal match with someone like that. So. Um, yeah, I could definitely see Bird, and as I said, I got him at the 55 level because uh, you know I, I, could, I could definitely see having him just as high as you do here. Um, so I'll go into my 48. Uh, my 48 is another guy who really had a breakout year here. Talking about Lycos having a breakout year, I think um, he really stretched his legs, and he's got some long legs to stretch. Uh, my number 48 was Omori. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, again when I talked about Drew Parker at 51, a big part of that was this. Fucking one of the craziest spots I've seen all goddamn year um, from the Lucha Forever show with the the balcony dive catch yeah. into the ozone um, was just fucking mind bogglingly awesome spot and that kind of helped make case for both guys to me of, of standouts for the year having such an a just an ins- that like really stands out um, but then you turn around and Omori had so many goddamn good matches this year and I think that. Uh, you almost don't think about it because he's the rookie guy of how many good matches he had. Um, mm-hmm. He's I talk on a lot of my other podcasts about people putting rookies, uh, trainees into these multi-man matches because they're just throwing a bunch of trainees together into one match. Um, how it's really kind of a terrible um, kind of uh, kind of setup for failure there. Um, but Omori, being that he works in Attack and Fight Club quite a bit, uh, staples of both promotions are these big multi-man matches with six to seven people at times. Um, he never gets lost. He's always one of the most over guys in the match. Um, he's always hits his spots, hits great spots. It makes really makes those matches a lot of times. And again, as I said, because of the companies being kind of partial to booking those kinds of matches, they don't just put the trainees in there. They're putting actually like name talent in there as well. And a lot of times he'll, he'll still be the standout of the match. Um, I think every match he hits at least one or two things that just looks insanely cool. Um, he's super crisp. I think his next, really his next step is just to up his striking game only slightly because he's already pretty much there. Um, his mat game is on, is on point. His brawling is getting there. His, his kind of aerial speed attacks are insane. Um, he had one of my favorite matches of the year with Shane Strickland just, that match just had so much drama and it showed, you know, you know kind of rookie versus uh, veteran kind of drama to it with heat and just back and forth and the crowd biting on every near fall and had really some of the best near falls of the year. I mean, um, matches against yeah, Keith Lee just, and Pete Dunne. Like, I think I like the Pete Dunne more than the Shane Strickland match. 
Yeah, the Pete Dunne I was going to mention was was a great match. Um, there was also a phenomenal match with David Starr and Lucha Forever. Uh, just yeah, the guy has just really brought in a lot of places. I mean, he's. I really think that he's probably one of the best rookie. Like it's weird to say this because like Riddle, you know, oh Riddle is this amazing rookie, Junior Akiyama. He's one of the best rookies I've seen, honestly, for mm-hmm. always getting the most out of his his chances. When he's in a big-time situation that he needs to make something of, he does a really fucking good job of making something of it. Even the match with Moose, which I think that a lot of people might not appreciate, but I think for him at that time, that's it was a big deal because Moose was a big guy. He's in TNA. He's got some name to him. And Omori, I think, made sure to hold his own. He looked really good in that match. And, like, he gets the big win. And I think he made he got the most out of that win that he could. So... Yeah, he's a really impressive rookie to me, um, and a guy who's just got insane amount of upside. And but then on top of that, he really did kind of stretch his legs this year and had had matches with a lot of different opponents, a lot of different styles in a few different places, and uh, really is just kind of on that bubble, ready to explode once a lot more people start to notice him. Um, what I really noticed about how Fight Club Pro started to use him this year is that usually a promotion when they're going to bring in bigger guys. They like always like kind of like give like a homegrown guy like those big names to go up again so they can build themselves up like PWX did the last year with Anthony Henry and Anthony Henry was facing Riddle and Roderick Strong and Tommaso Ciampa and Drew Gulak. I think that that's what Fight Club Pro was kind of doing this year with Amari. Like, who else was getting these big like huge singles matches the way Amari was going up against Keith Lee and Pete Dunne and Shane Strickland? Um, just constantly being um, the most over guy in the ring on every show he's on. Um, he barely, barely, barely missed my list, but I'm definitely probably, he's definitely going to be on my list next year. Um, with the way the scene is starting to shape up and with how over Omari is, um, there's no, there's going to be no way to deny him in 2018, I think. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, what's your uh, what's your forty eight? Uh, my forty seven is um. You might have oh. this guy higher, which will be really funny to me, but my forty seven is Trent Seven. Oh no, no, I do not. <laughs> uh, Trent Seven did not make my list, and I don't feel bad about it. I don't even. I don't know if I even have him in my kind of per like nebulous top seventy right now. He, uh, <laughs> which is kind of sad, and you know what? I should probably truly kind of assess him because just like I think last year I was I was low on him I'm always kind of low on him and I'm kind of you know I I usually champion Talway I'm like that guy who's like you know he's not just a warm body he was in those matches that are all getting all these great ratings he's important part of the matches and same thing with Trent Seven I mean he was in a lot of good matches it's just to me I just don't think of him as being that good but like I don't know. Change my mind. Can you uh, explain to me why Trent Seven should have been on my list? I think since the British strong style heel turn, Trent Seven has probably been consistently the best guy in the group. Um, as far as like when that when like as a collective when they're all together, um, I think he has shown a tremendous, tremendous ability with promos and a natural charm when he's the heel. Like his comedic timing is almost unmatched besides like some guys are like comedy wrestling legends i think he has like a certain um balance between he can be this hard-hitting um 
believable badass to when he gets knocked out by Matt Riddle in six seconds that you like believe it because he's such a fucking goofball. Um, I think he's the one that really holds that group together, honestly. And that comes along with the maturity he brings being the older guy between the 23-year-old and the 20-year-old. But I think Trent Seven and just um, his presence really helps bring that trio together, even if I don't love what they're doing most of the time. Um, Other than just being really fucking funny and genuinely entertaining, um, he can have awesome, awesome matches when he wants to. Um, Whenever Mustache Mountain proper teams up, when it's just Trent Seven and Tyler Bate, I feel like they're more than likely going to have a great match. Um, That happened in the Dream Tag Team Invitational against uh, CCK. Uh, That happened when they were facing Aussie Open. That happened um, even when Trent Seven was teaming with Pete Dunne instead um, and having a great match with Aussie Open at Lucha Forever. Um, It um, just happened in NXT. (laughs) Mustache Mountain versus... Versus Pete Dunne and, and Mark Andrews was like a phenomenal match. So yeah, yeah, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate versus um Los Federales Santos and Travis Banks. Like, I feel like like whenever Mustache Mountain gets a team up, they're always gonna deliver to me. Um, Trent Seven has had awesome singles matches. I think um, in the UK tournament, I thought him versus Wolfgang was very good. And I know I'm gonna be in a minority on this, but like, I thought from the UK special. Um, the taping after the UK tournament and that whatever. Um, I thought Trent Seven versus Pete Dunn from that show was just as good as a story um being told in the ring as like Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunn from the UK tournament. I thought Trent Seven was phenomenal in that match selling his arm. Um so I that- wouldn't say that you're you're wrong there. I would not argue with you that you're wrong about that, but I would say that I just I liked the other match more. Mm-hmm. But the storytelling and the arm work was, like, on par. And the selling and everything else. Yeah, so... And I get it why people kind of dismiss Trent Seven. Um, I don't think he's immediately out-grabbing. But like you said, you made, like, a Tawei comparison. And, like, for some people that are, like, super Tawei fans, they'll probably, like, scoff at that. Like, oh, my God, this you're comparing this guy to Tawei. But it's like, how many times can Trent Seven be involved in awesome, great matches, great moments, have great moments on the microphone... But we just keep dismissing him as as the third guy in British Strong Style. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it, and I think you know, obviously, you're co-signing it. I think it's not an insane comparison. Um, you know, it's a different level. The pillars are definitely not mm. the same as uh, as British Strong Style, but it's a fair comparison. I mean, these guys are having great matches, and he's there, so you got to give him some credit for that. You know. Mm-hmm. I will say right. that I will say that I think you were right last year when you were like, okay, I think uh, you just don't, you just didn't like him as a babyface. But I think as a heel, like Trent Seven is foolproof to me. Yes, and that's definitely he is a better heel. Um, but some of his babyface work this year actually got to me a little bit, especially mm-hmm. in Mustache Mountain. Um, my biggest issues right now with Mustache Mountain is just their entrance. I think their entrance is getting a little bit too over the top. Yeah. Um, with the jackets and the posing and everything. And but, I mean, it works. People like it. Yeah. yeah. People are into it. But I liked it better when Trent had his own thing and, and Tyler was kind of there with him and was doing his own thing, too. And now it feels too much like Tyler is just doing Trent Seven stuff. So yeah. that's my like kind of my biggest issue right now with him. I probably should have him on my list, honestly. Um, all right. So my 47, I think there's no chance in hell you don't have him higher. Uh, my 47 is Eddie Dennis. I don't have any Dennis. 
what the fuck? <laughs> Here's the thing. I, you I loved really, Eddie Dennis. I loved one match. <laughs> oh, I thought you were into him this year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought he was great this year. Um, again, this is actually, it's kind of, it's kind of sad because it's an indictment of myself because part of what made him on here was the same thing and, and tag matches that I really, really loved. And I felt like it was unfair to not have him in the matches just because, or not on my list just because I see him as the least of the of the group, as it were, in those matches. Um, so yeah, I've got him. I got him here. Uh, but yeah, like the, the tag team matches with FSU during the Dream Tag Team Invitational was were all phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the uh, the match with um, with the Lucha Brothers because yeah. the Lucha. I mean, that Lucha Brothers match was my match of the entire tournament, and yeah, so you know awesome. he was he's. Yeah, he was really good in there in that match. Like, it's hard for me to not give him credit for that. Um, he really got out there this year. Uh, he started off the year still in his attack title run, barely for a couple matches. His attack title run was really, really good uh, through and through from the beginning to the end. Uh, the Chris Brooks match, I loved the defense on that. I think you, I think you may have looked over how good that match was. Mm-hmm. Um, Really liked the Mastiff match. Felt like that was a, a big-time coming-out party for him about being a, uh, a serious wrestler. You know what I mean? And this year was going to be his big year. Um, so then, yeah, from there, uh, also has like a lot of good matches in progress. The turn in progress. Uh, great match of Pete Dunne, obviously, that I think uh, you like even more than me. Uh, Big yeah. big fan of that match. That was fantastic. I think that's the um, best match happened with, in England this year, just as like a like as a reference, right? And the yeah, and that's I mean that's saying something big. Uh, and then the the Rev Pro cockpit shows. I mean, uh, there's really the best Rev Pro shows to me. Uh, they're better than their big shows, and he was really kind of star of a lot of those. Um, really helped to bring them together. Has a lot of personality. Uh, lots of great action. I think he's coming together. He's pretty smooth. He's got legit background that I think he needs to play up more in his wrestling. Um, great match with Keith Lee. Great match with Omori I talked about earlier. Um, so, you, yeah, you didn't I just get to see the Mark Davis match um, from Attack, did you? I have not seen that yet, which is probably that really good, and I need to check that out, too. Awesome. It's just like, yeah. I remember like going wild about it, because it's like Mark Davis um, and Eddie Dennis just go out there and like, it's not like typical big men doing lucha spots. Like they're actually doing like complicated shit, and that was very, very impressive to me. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's a uh, a good amount of uh, of stuff for him this year that's really good. Um, and like I said, getting serious about his wrestling career this year, I think he really turned it up and uh, you know showed off some of his heel work in different places and just. He was just a really, really solid wrestler, I thought, throughout the entire year. Honestly, even before the like official I'm taking wrestling serious thing, he was actually already really fucking good. Um, I will say that I think twenty eighteen is gonna be a really big year for Eddie Dennis. I think now I think this year was gonna kinda of setting everything up and setting everything in motion for like what could possibly happen. And now with the twenty eighteen where Eddie Dennis could possibly have a game plan and he has everything map uh, more mapped out. I think there's a good chance he winds up very high on my 2018 list with how things are looking now. Okay, well we'll see then, I guess. <laughs> All right, my 46. Um, 
a tag team I've liked for a very long time, and I'm glad that people are starting to recognize them as possibly being the best tag team in WWE history. Uh, my number 46 is the Usos. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, People have been really in love with this Usos heel run, and what can I say? Like, I'm in love with it, too. Uh, the New Day feud is absolutely stellar, and I think the Usos have been the best guys in all of those matches every single time they're in the ring together. And it's not to take anything away from the New Day, who I think all three of them are phenomenal workers, but the Usos have just been on point since uh, September of last year with this. They've just been on a complete roll, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon unless they just run out of opponents. Um, there's there's really like not a lot to say other than a, other than a new day feud, which there was four pay per views in a row. If you're inclined, so if you're inclined to, or if you um just haven't uh seen it, I would highly recommend going and watching it. I think the best one of that bunch was the match at Battleground, but. I wouldn't fault anybody that said the Hell in a Cell match where I saw people throwing five stars at. Um, the SummerSlam match. Uh, the um, Money in the Bank match. We'll watch all those. I gave all those four stars or higher. Um, their work is just impeccable. Their trash talking, their entrances, their promos, um, their new their new gear. Just everything comes together for this perfect ensemble of menacing-looking, gritty-looking um badass dudes that can also do crazy high-flying spots too like anything you could possibly want from the usos they deliver to you now they're very well-rounded performers and even if i've always been a fan of them that's always been an area in which they've lacked but they're so well-rounded now that you just can't deny them yeah that's a uh it's a fantastic pick and one that would probably be again on my list if I was paying attention to WWE more. And uh, I guess I didn't really think about it, I guess, too much when I was making my list. But we did agree that we would do tag teams as a, a, an entity if we wanted. Um, but I do, I guess, just to clarify for other people who might you know wonder about that. For us, if a tag team is taking a spot, you're saying the unit so like to say to like kind of include any of the units singles work unless it pertains directly to the team or team feuds mm -hmm. yeah. would be like kind of unfair right because like one thing i would say like ring comp like mm -hmm. if you were encompassing walter and thatcher's singles work that doesn't have anything to do with ring comp as well as their tag team matches it's like kind of hard to argue them not being number one right you know what i mean or if i did like the elite and like did kenny omega and the young bucks like that'd be like pretty goddamn hard to not have them a number one right yeah so it's like it's it is kind of just saying that them they are so much a unit and you're you're judging them as a unit mm -hmm. um and that's why they're being used as a unit you know what i mean like just to clarify for that for people who may not uh mm -hmm. or may think it's kind of weird for us to do it that way right mm -hmm. i it's the same reason why I didn't have. It's the same reason why I didn't have the revival separate last year like if they were having like singles matches then i'd be able to have a I'd right. have a clear distinction but since the Usos are only having singles matches, I mean tag matches, and um, so like the Young Bucks are only having tag matches, and the Revival are only having tag matches, like I'm gonna rate those teams as like a complete entity and not separate people. Right. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, good pick. So I'll do my uh, 46 here. I feel like are we are we out of order? Are we right? I'm for, I'm no. doing 46. That's right, right? Yeah, you're 46. 
Okay, my 46 is... See, now you got me fucked up. I can't even predict if I think you're going to have him higher. I think you... <laughs> it's Jenny, Jenny Couture. Jenny Havoc. Jenny did not make my list this year, and I think that comes down to the fact that I felt like Progress dropped the ball really bad with her this year. Okay. Okay, I could definitely see that. Progress did drop the ball, but she did have some good spots yeah, in did. RPW, uh, in Lucha Forever. Um, in I, I liked her in the WXW tournament. I thought she did great there. Um, and then in the... Uh, OTT, and then she shows up. Yeah, when she's in OTT, I think she's great as the foil for, uh, for Martina. Um, she really brings that personality, that attitude, that over-the-top character. Um, and I think in the past couple um, kind of chapters, when they've kind of brought her back a little bit more, uh, especially for the Women's Tournament in Progress, I think that they, they brought her back. Uh, starting the feud with Dahlia, I think that they could have done a better job of starting the feud, but now that the feud is going, I'm into it. Um, and I think that after the last, the four way that I saw in chapter 57, um, I thought that they did a good job. I need to, I need to watch the chapter 58 because, uh, mm-hmm. I think that the no DQ match with her and Dahlia could actually probably even have bumped her up the list somewhat, but, uh, yeah, if I got but yeah, that, she makes, then maybe she would have made my list. Right. But yeah, she makes my list. Yeah. Based on a lot of really great character work, um, really solid in ring work and, and kind of. A lot of people have had to do this, including kind of her her new namesake and her trainer, um, Jimmy Havoc. Is when progress kind of puts you on the back burner. You got to patch together stuff outside of there and really land on your feet and make it work in other companies. And I think she did a really good job of that. So I give her a lot of credit for showing adaptability for someone who really was a pro Joe baby um, who's come up and actually kind of shown that she can uh, she can handle it out on the big world outside of progress. Yeah, and I think this really was um, a year for Jenny where even if I kind of wished that she got pushed harder in her home promotion, and I think she will wind up with the belt. Um, but even if she just got that like little bit of a push in progress and not just had been like um, the bridesmaid to Tony Storm, I feel like I just would have had her higher. But that being said, she did put together a really strong body of work everywhere else. Um even in Riptide Pro Wrestling, she was a replacement for Kid Lycos in a um, six-man tag match that was Banks, Brooks, and Jenny up against um, Jimmy Havoc, um, Wild Boar, and Mike Bird. And she scored the fall on Jimmy Havoc. So I really like the way that Jenny is being pushed now in other promotions, even if the place where I would like to see her be more fleshed out isn't exactly giving me what I want. But I do think that... um. Jenny really is still the ace or like the top female in all of Europe. And I think that showed in just how much she was just booked everywhere. Yeah, that's definitely, that is the case. Mm -hmm. So my 45, I do not know how you feel about this guy, but my 45 is Shane Strickland. Shit. Sorry. I got Strickland slightly higher. Okay. So do my uh, uh, you can go with your forty-five then. Okay, uh, my forty-five is Shayna Baszler. I do not have Shayna. I didn't really get to see too much of her this year. But so tell me about her. 
Okay, so I'm, you know, I'm obviously a bit of a homer with Shana being Southern California, um, getting to watch her in, in SoCal Indies for a long time already, and as she grows. So early on in the year, um, I talked about her kind of lack of Joshi. She was one of the few people over in Stardom that I went out of my way to make sure I was catching her big matches, um, and she did really well for herself early in the year in Stardom, especially the Io Shirai match that I think a lot of people saw and a lot of people really liked. Um, I think it was actually, yeah, I think, I think it could be on some people's match of the year list. I wouldn't quite put it there. Um, she's also really, I mean, the ace of AIW's women's division, realistically. I mean, they kind of really focused on her a lot throughout the last year going into this year. Um, as kind of, even though there's not a lot, she doesn't do a lot there. She really stands out there as like the star of the division. Um, also from there, I mean, obviously, like I said, seeing her locally, great match with Hudson Envy, uh, great match in APW with uh, Rays for the now defunct premier women's title that became the APW women's title. Um, you know, fantastic stuff. Every shimmer weekend, she's always standing out, having great matches. Then you get into the Mae Young Classic. Um, she goes all the way to the finals as the big bad. Um, and for me, I just thought that she was, uh, you know, amazing in the Mae Young Classic, working her way all the way through to the end. Um, I think that they did a, just a, a phenomenal job building her up. I think the Mercedes, Mercedes Martinez match was just really great, kind of putting over um, Shayna's background as a MMA fighter. And then also uh, Mercedes Martinez having a similar vibe. Uh, those, you know, always great uh, chemistry with her, with anyone who can kind of ch- – chop it up with her on the mat somewhat. Um, and then kind of from there, unfortunately she's cooled down. She gets officially signed, but hasn't really done much since then. But really, I mean, just great stuff. Oh, I guess there was the, uh, the match with Mia Yim and absolution. Um, again, another great showing from her with another Mia Yim, not necessarily a MMA background, but definitely can kind of work a little bit of that style into her matches and has gotten even better at it. And, just uh, really good stuff. Uh, she oozes just badass uh, charisma. She comes across like the toughest person in the room when she uh, when she walks out. Oh, I, I skipped over the Penelope Ford match and beyond. It's great as well. Um, yeah, she just uh, – that's a big part of it. Everything is super believable. She's extra crisp in the ring. I hear people kind of say that she's a little sloppy. I don't see it. Usually I, I actually always think that she looks really fucking good in the ring. Um, and she just has aura, aura that you just cannot be denied. You see her in person and, and she just, she jumps off the page, I guess you'd say she leaps off the page. Um, so for me, yeah, she just, uh, really, really had a great year this year and, uh, really just kind of helped to launch herself into the stratosphere with a really great showing in WWE. Mm. I didn't get to see any of the May Young classic stuff, but I did love the, um, little bit of Shayna stuff that I saw in stardom in the beginning of the year, that Io Shirai match um, was very, very good. Very um, close to board, um, getting the great. Um, so that would be like my biggest um, thing with Shayna is that even when she went to stardom and people will question like, Oh, can she hang? And granted stardom isn't that great of a promotion, like work rate wise, but when you're going in, when you're in there with Io Shirai, who is very much one of the best wrestlers in the world to go in there and not, feel out of place working with her is a testament to Shayna's ability. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good way to put it. All right, so my 44 is Ray Phoenix. I have got him higher. All right. 
So what's your 44? So my 44 is his brother, Penta L0MA. <laughs> that is very funny that we have that. I know. Uh, uh, do you have him? I don't. Wow, why do you not have him? Jeez. Um, um, just, I'm just not into Pentagon as a singles guy, so... Um, okay. I think I, I think I had maybe one Pentagon singles match that I that would say I very much like this year, but nothing else. Um, I think the Loser Brothers okay. tag team is very fun, but Pentagon as a singles guy just hasn't done much for me. Right. Okay. No, I can see that. Um, I did like his Heritage title run a little bit in AAW. Um, I thought he had some decent matches there. Um, he was actually a little bit better, I thought, in AAW with that title instead of with... Uh, Instead of with the big title, honestly, mm. um, I think it fit him more as kind of a an attraction act and kind of what he is. So I thought that that was kind of nice to see him place properly. Um, every match in the Dream Team Dream Tag Team Invitational for the you know the the Lucha Brothers was phenomenal. And again, it kind of goes into that he was in these great matches, so I kind of uh, put him in there too. I think he. He definitely delivers. I I thought that the match with Tremont was great at best mm-hmm. of the best. Uh, kind of deathmatchy thing with Kevin Sullivan. That was great. Um, the match with Zack Sabre Jr., I think that's the one that, the, probably the one singles match that you're saying you liked. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing right on that. Yeah, I thought that match was really, really good. Um, some of the stuff in the crash that I saw from him was actually pretty good. Uh, match with him and, uh, and Lucha Brothers against Black Terry and Skyda was good. Um, yeah, so for me, that's kind of it. He had a lot of really good matches. He's got a lot of amazing charisma. Um, good match with Jeff Cobb and APW, another one to uh, to bring up, I think. And uh, and a lot of really awesome stuff in PWG for me. So, um, you know, seeing that stuff live definitely helps his case in, in my regard, being into him. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of it. I think really, really, um, really kind of... Not super diverse, but in a way he kind of is. He works totally different matches sometimes. He's he's got like his high work rate versions. He's got his complete shtick versions, and he's got a kind of deathmatch brawling versions. And he he busts out the different styles when he needs to, and I think he does a pretty good job of it. Um, I liked his match with Chris Brooks. I thought that uh, he definitely actually brought it there with a lot more intensity and a lot more action than he necessarily brings in every other match that's not a tag match so uh yeah i thought he was i i actually liked him i think probably more this year than i liked him last year honestly so um i think again a a lot of that i think had to do with um coming out of the bat of a bunch of companies were like why didn't lucha underground push him as the top guy he should have been the champion oh he's so great everyone loves him and then i think that you kind of quickly find out the reason why is he's not a stereotypical top guy kind of wrestler he's more of a kind of brawler charisma guy and he doesn't necessarily carry the top of a company very well. So I think that kind of normalizing for that this year and kind of putting him back where he belongs actually helped him to shine even more this year. It's funny that like what you were just saying about Pentagon is definitely something that I think we'll be saying, I'll be saying or arguing for um, later on, later on our list, um, maybe in like the next part, because I don't know how high you'll have them, but um, that's definitely something that'll be coming up later on. Uh, that was your 44? Yes, that was my 44. All right, so my 43 is Jack Sexsmith. I do not have him. Let's hear about this guy. 
Um, as someone that's been watching Progress for a very long time and was even watching the smaller shows, I've been aware of Jack set Jack Sexman for a while. Um, from the beginnings of the character up until now, I'm not sure there's a wrestler who's grown as much as he has in just one year. Not even just one year. This was dating back to 2016, too. But the amount of growth Jack Sexsmith had um, in 2017 was very much something to behold. Um, he still does the comedy. He still does the um, Mr. Kako. He's still um, he's still going to be Jack Sexsmith, and Jack Sexsmith naturally is a very outlandish character. Um, but I do think, with all that being said, that Jack Sexsmith delivered in the ring a lot this year. I think from the start of the year, facing um Travis Banks, um facing Zach Gibson, uh facing Paul Robinson, uh facing Zach Sabre Jr. in a very emotionally charged um short match that happened um in a different way than was probably planned to because of Jack Sexsmith um getting injured. Um the tag match with Matt Riddle against Mark Haskins and Jimmy Havoc Whenever he shows up in Fight Club Pro now, since he's training under Travis Banks at that dojo, um, he's now working the attack loop and all those places, Riptide Wrestling. Um, he's really spreading his wings. And I think Jack Sexsmith is really working hard to become a great wrestler. And I'm not sure I've seen anyone work as hard as him to become um, a great wrestler and to be taken seriously as he has. I think he is someone that isn't complacent and just wants to keep growing and keep growing and doesn't want to just be known as a gimmick. I think Jack Sexsmith wants to be great, and I'm very um, proud of the guy for how far he's come this year. Yeah, that's a... I mean, you make a lot of really good points there, and realistically, I think that I should have had him higher and taken him a lot more seriously, um, but I just... I don't know what it is. I just don't get into him the same way. I just don't buy into him mm-hmm. um, as much. I guess I'm just not as like invested in him on top of being, I kind of lost interest in progress. So yeah. it kind of, unfortunately when you're like a raw, raw Mr. Progress kind of worker, it's going to affect uh, my enjoyment of you when that's such a big part of your character as well. Um, but yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see where you're coming from on him. Um, is it my 43 now? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, my number 43... I think there's a chance you'll have him higher. Is Trent Beretta. Yeah, I have him higher. Okay. Uh, so what's your 43 then? My 42 is actually his tag team partner, Chuck Taylor. Oh, I have him higher. All right, so this is interesting. Your 42. My 42 is Shane Strickland, who you had a little bit lower. All right, let's talk about Shane. Uh, so- all right, so who do you want to who do you want to start? You want to start on him? Go ahead. Oh man, uh, I really thought I was going to love Shane Strickland this year. I really did. Um, the reason why he made my list is because I feel like um, his star power is kind of undeniable. Um, he's everywhere. He gets booked everywhere. I think he comes across as a star. He looks like a star. I think we made this joke um months ago where I said it, where like. This, doesn't Shane Strickland like look like Offset now? <laughs> and I can't think of it, and I can't like stop thinking about it whenever I see him. Um, I think the guy carries himself like a star. He looks like a star. Um, problem is, I think he just kind of falls flat a lot of the time in the ring. 
doesn't say that he doesn't have great matches because we were just raving over that Omari match from Fight Club Pro. Um, I thought he had an awesome match um, with um, AR Fox at Ultimo Lucha Trace. So it's not like he's lacking in really good or great matches. I just thought that there was going to be more of them this year. And uh, that kind of left me disappointed. Yeah, I, I I thought that I was going to have Shane Strickland this year around where I had Ricochet last year, honestly, yeah. um, going into it. Um, and then he really showed that he's not. I mean, you watch kind of back-to-back. He had a match with Desmond Xavier um, after Ricochet had had kind of the match showing that off, and he didn't. He's just not there yet. He's not, um, he's not able to fill that same role psychology-wise yet, but he is able to fill that role um, – with the action, with the high octane stuff, that's why, like you know, the match for the Lucha Forever title against Travis Banks was really fucking good because he was there for all the spots in a really go 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 match, high octane action, and he's phenomenal there. His striking, his kicking game is looking great. I think um, that was probably one of his weaker parts up before this year, and he really brought that back. And then, as you talk about, he's got star presence, star power, star aura. And a lot of companies are putting the belts on him. It'll, it'll come up here actually in a little bit after him. But th- there's you know another uh, act where the same thing happened. Like putting championships on someone can kind of – they either sink or swim and they start to carry it and have that presence as a champion and it makes a big difference. And he definitely did. Um, you know, he got the, the Defy title, the um, CCW title, the Wrestling Circus title, and he feels like a big deal with all these belts. He makes them mean something. So – uh, yeah, just really good, really good stuff there. Just he needs that psychology part of the game. I think that's what he's missing. Um, he gets that figured out, and I think that the sky's the limit for the kid. Um, he's he's obviously really, really physically gifted. He runs with the right crowd. Obviously, he's with the Sammy Callahan crew that gets him bookings in all these different places and lots of great, crazy six-man tag matches. But he needs to take that step and really kind of put the uh, the psychology game together to really start to stand out. All right, so my number forty one. Um, I don't I don't know how much how much Dragon Gate you watched this year, but my number forty one is a uh, Kagetora, formerly known as Jimmy Kagetora. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, pro wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly here. I want to make sure you are all subscribed. To all the great feeds here at Place to Be Nation, it's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, which, of course, includes the full archives of The Kevin Kelly Show, the Place to Be Nation pod feed, and the Pro Wrestling Only feed. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And be sure to give Justin your true thoughts. I mean, don't hold back. After all, he is kind of a jerk. Just listen to Scott. Place Simulations, JT Rosero and Chad Campbell here. We want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaySimulation.com, and we offer those to you on three great feeds. On the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, we bring you the Mothership, the original Place to Be podcast, as well as main event to Lucha Afterground and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows, as well as the Our Vantage Point podcast and Jeff Learns Wrestling. In addition to these full-length shows, we also deliver quick-hit pod blasts on topics old and new. 
Over on the Pro Wrestling Only feed, we dive deep inside the wrestling business with a stacked army of experts leading the way. The feed features potpourri shows such as This Week in Wrestling, Greetings from Allentown, Psychology is Dead, Puro Puri, Stacy and Elliot's Bogus Journey, and the Military Industrial Suplex. We also have shows that focus intently on certain topics like Letters from Center Stage, Space City, and NWA Classics on Demand Adventure, Through the Years, Strong style history, strong style story, and Mount Olympus. Plus, the feed has the full archives of legendary shows like Titans of Wrestling, Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, and much more. And on our popular Place to Be Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, PTBN Dadcast, Go Home in a Box, NBA Team, and Lucha Undead, as well as a vertible podcast heaven for comics fans with the hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, Geek and Sassy, and Imaginary Stories Podcasts. You can find all of these current shows plus archives of our past podcasts, including the Kevin Kelly Show, as well by subscribing to all of our feeds on iTunes. And while there, be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All of these shows plus others available on PlacementNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus in-depth stretch projects and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlacementNation.com backslash Amazon when shopping online and download our free PTB Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on our site. We also want to thank our friends at Boneheads Wing Bar and Westworld. Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, thehistoryofwrestling.com, and Scott Keats' blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. Placemination.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Uh, no, I, I actually don't think I have a single Dragon Gate wrestler in my top 50. Um, and that's that's probably on me, because I I think I, I just completely stopped watching Dragon Gate halfway through the year, and then up to the point where I wasn't even going to go back. Because I think there are some guys that even based on what I saw could have made it, but I just was not even going to go down that rabbit hole because I don't feel like I paid enough attention to the company as a whole to put anybody in. Right, so Kagatora, um kind of suffers because he's having this awesome Brave Gate run in a year where people, a lot of hardcore Dragon Gate fans weren't as into it. Um, with a very lackluster first half of the year. But I thought Kakatora's work throughout the entire year was very, very good. Um, whether it be in tag matches, whether it be in that Brave Gate tournament to determine the new Brave Gate champion, which he had won, um, facing Lindemann, facing Flamita, facing Genki Horiguchi, uh, facing Yosuke, um, Yosuke Santa Maria. Uh, facing Takahiro Yamamura, I feel like every time out, Kagatora just delivered. And it helps that he's also probably like my favorite. Um, he's probably, I think he has the best offense in wrestling, honestly. Like maybe Fred Yehai is like second or something, but I think he has like the best offense in wrestling. I think everything he does looks phenomenal. It looks crisp. When he throws strikes, it looks like it hurts. He has great pin combinations. He's speedy. He's slick. So I just love the, I just love the way the guy wrestles. And, I feel like he has a great grasp of psychology, whether being a great underdog babyface or dominating, controlling heel. Um, I think the only thing that's really missing is that he wasn't really part of the um, end of the Jimmys. So when Jimmys ended at Dangerous Gate, he was defending his title. So he wasn't involved in that match. 
So if he was involved in that stuff, then maybe he might have climbed a bit further up my rankings. But that being said, I think in a year where people weren't really as in the Dragon Gate, Kagatora had like the best Brave Gate run since Akira Tozawa. Yeah, I mean, when I saw him early in the year, obviously he's just as good as ever. I just wonder if part of why he stood out was because everything else was so slumped. Yeah. And he was really kind of at the same level. Because, like, I hate to say it, but it almost feels like some some of the older generation in Dragon Gate were kind of phoning it in this year. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Kagatora was not. So I think, I don't know if that's, I hate to even say that, like, maybe that's part of why he stood out so much this year. I don't know, it definitely is. It's definitely why, part of why um, guys like uh, Big R, Shimizu, and uh, Takahiro Yamamura Yama stood out this year, too, is that, you know, when other guys are lacking, other people, have to, other people have to pick up the ball. And I think those guys were the ones that really picked up the ball um, early on in the year when other guys weren't really delivering the way you'd expect them to. So that definitely is a big boost for me where it's my favorite promotion in the world. And if I'm not having fun watching these shows, but then these guys come in and are making me enjoy myself, then yeah, those guys are gonna like have some kind of like representation on my list. Right, which totally makes sense. Uh, okay, so my forty-one is Roderick Strong. I don't have Roddy. No Roddy. Okay, uh, Roddy definitely had a standout year for himself in 2017, uh, which is kind of impressive based on just how fucking good he is and always has been. Um, but what made him stand out in 2017 was his character work. Um, he was the heart and soul of NXT. I mean, kind of the Mr. ROH got kind of switched over to Mr. NXT. Um, he really became at times the number one babyface in the company. Um, a lot of times the most likable babyface in NXT. Um, the guy that the crowd was into the most, um, and on top of showing all of this personality, uh, really, I mean, God, I've never seen Roddy be a good babyface before, but he was a phenomenal babyface this year. Uh, he really bought into him, really got behind him huge. Um, I likened him to Dusty Rhodes in the big War Games match as he came out playing co- cosplaying as AOP. It's like Dusty with the uh, Legion of Doom. It was kind of <laughs> perfect because uh, he really... In some ways, he became like the every man. You know, it's it's funny because it's Roddy Strong, but the kind of the dude bro who does CrossFit is like kind of the every man now. Um, there's a lot of people that kind of fall into that category, and that's that's what Roddy is. So he falls into like that kind of mid to lower mid class white guy from the burbs who's like really into drinking beer and wants to be in good shape and like. He made that shit work for him, dude. Like, and he had some fucking great matches to boot. I mean, every match that I saw Roddy have in 2017 was good. Some of the matches that Roddy had in 2017 were great. Um, the only issue is, you know, he's in NXT, so you're not seeing a lot of his matches. He's having a ton of matches, though. I mean, he's probably having more matches in 2017 than he's had in years but you're not getting to see him all. But the stuff that you're seeing, I mean, he is just – there is no slowing down in this kid. I mean, he seemingly is just, just as fast as he was 10 years ago right now. It's super impressive. But then, like I said, you're adding the wrinkle to the game that he's actually this insanely likable baby face that you want to root for and get behind. And 
he brings in the family and the you know you got the wife and the baby and everything and and just yeah he kind of in a lot of ways he is like a modern day dusty Rhodes, and it's kind of uh not what you would expect from roddy strong if you've been watching him in on the indies for the past you know 10 years uh that he would be able to like kind of fill such a role so well yeah and i've barely watched any nxt tv tv this year but i remember earlier in the year that those Roddy vignettes showing his family and going going to um, going through his backstory really were eye opening for a lot of people. Even like people like us who have like known about Roddy for like such a long time and have been watching him, that you know now you can actually like feel like you know res- you can actually resonate with the guy. He's not just a guy having great matches and having awesome uh like speedy performances. You can actually like feel emotionally where the guy is coming from, and that definitely adds another layer to his work. So. I love Roddy, one of my favorite guys ever, but just not watching NXT TV uh, definitely hampered the fact that I couldn't, like, you know, realistically have him on my list. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't squeeze somebody in if you just aren't seeing them, you know? Right, so my number 40 is Mark Davis. I've got Mark Davis, I think, higher. Um... Just a little bit, though. You said 40? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the fuck did he go? I feel like he disappeared. Um, I had him. Yeah, he is higher. We might actually we might get to him tonight, but I'm not sure. All right, so who's your 40, then? My number 40 is... I don't think you'll have them on the list. It's EYFBO. No, I've never been a big EYFBO fan, so I'm um, curious about what you have to say about them. Yeah, so like I talked about with Shane Strickland, it's it's a similar thing with them, is that uh, they got those uh, tag team titles from from CCW first, and then they got the TNA tag team titles, and uh, they started to carry themselves like champions and started to feel like a big deal. Um, they feel like an important act now, even on the indies. Outside of TNA, they kind of um, there's something bigger to them, and it's kind of impressive to see how much they've really upgraded um, as stars just from having the TNA titles. I would, I would say they're like the only act in 2017 that truthfully kind of upped their stock from TNA. Uh, no one else has come close to that. Now you could, I guess, you could try to argue that that's because their stock was so low before. But I, I've always really liked them. Um, I think that they have, they're always like kind of one of the best matches on a Beyond card. Uh, they continue to do that as well this, uh, this year, uh, getting put in really in the tag team ace role. You, you talked about Omari getting the big time matchups and beyond. They continuously were put in big time matches, even on like double, double shot weekends where they're doing kind of almost round Robin esque tag team mixing around with a lot of big names. Um, like the Robin Peter paying Paul weekend uh they put eyfbo in there with the pretty boy killers and uh, the american wolves and they delivered in both matches big time i mean just great great matches um i've loved them in czw i feel like they kind of have a different style there there's like them in in beyond they're part of team pazuzu they're fun they're partying they're messing around um there's them in tna they're like gangsters they're uh lax and they're like supposed to be super serious badasses and then there's them in CZW, and it's kind of a mix in between the two. They're a little bit more serious, but they're not completely like gang affiliated. 
is that someone else in CZW's gimmick? Um, so they can't claim that. But uh, but yeah, then like I said, uh, beyond they're always the best part of the team Pazuzu big clusterfuck matches. Um, they just have great matches with every team that they're at. Uh, fantastic showing in WXW in the World Tag League, um, and also in the Inner Circle before against uh, JFK. Um, yeah, just like really, really, really good team. Um, that's it. all they have is tag matches. So it's like, it's, there's no question about, uh, about that as a, as a tag team unit. Um, great stuff. The match with the thick boys and limitless, I thought was really, really good as well. And then I saw the thick boys again later and I was like, God, they, they kind of suck. So I'm just like LAX kind of makes that EYFBO kind of makes that work. Um, so yeah, I just think they're, they're really get a lot of credit for me for standing out in a company that, has no fucking standouts. They somehow have like become the standout act of the company, at least as they go out on the indies. Um, and really just being like a really fucking sweet, smooth, awesome tag team that has a lot of really cool tag moves and really feels like a cohesive unit. Um, so for me, they're just like one of the best tag teams going and I really enjoy good tag team wrestling, like, like what they're putting together. Mm. I will say that I definitely thought, um, as someone that doesn't watch TNA, that when they showed up for the WXW Tag League, I wasn't sure what to expect from them. And then once I saw them on the Inner Circle show against JFK, I was like, all right, this is a completely different UIFBL than I remember. So I w- that was a very um, welcome change. I thought they definitely did come off more stars, um, especially um, uh, Angel Ortiz. I thought came off uh, very much like a star. And I've always liked Mike Drastic, but I think Angel Ortiz has been carrying himself a lot better lately. Yeah, and that's definitely that's a big part of their year this year. Is I think they just they're taking wrestling a lot more seriously, and it's showing quite a bit. All right, so my number thirty nine, you might have higher since you have Mark Davis higher, but my number thirty nine is Kyle Fletcher. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna probably get to him tonight. I don't think. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. This is like weird because I think I'm higher on them than you, but I was kind of like trying to hold back on putting them super high. Okay. Okay. And I mean, we both have them separate, which is which is interesting. But uh, I guess it does make a lot of sense, honestly. Um, so my thirty nine. This is going to be an interesting one. So I'll just put it out there to see what you say. I, my thirty nine is James Drake. Which one are we talking here? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, right? Because uh, it, it really could depend. I wonder if we both have James Drake, but we have different James Drakes. Um, I don't, I, I don't I, have either James Drake, but I probably. I don't know. I've always liked the UK James Drake more than most people. Really? Yeah, okay. I've got the... It's the Carolina James Drake. The American James Drake is mine. Um, PWX has been kind of a staple on This Week in Wrestling, so I've watched most of his matches in PWX, and he has had some doozies. Um, He is quite the worker for his size he can move around he can bump he can throw a wicked punch uh love the i love honestly it's the best thing to come out of the troll boys and uh, and it's not even something they did but when they were doing commentary for a work horseman match they called his moonsault the cow jumps over the moon and i think it's just the best name for that ever um so yeah uh his big moonsault is always great um his tv title run in pwx was just banger after banger um, and then dropping the title, obviously, to uh, Elijah Evans in a really, really hard-fought match with a lot of drama based on a feud that's been building for a long time. 
Uh, John Davis, great match in, in that style battle between the two. John Davis, underratedly good in uh, in kind of the modern era, 2016, 2017. He's had some good matches. Uh, James Drake versus Jeff Cobb probably ends up in like my top 20 matches of the year. Um, just really, really fucking great heavyweight, fast-paced, athletic action. Um, then you get into the Workhorseman tag team title run as a whole. Um, I thought that they really revitalized the tag division. Um, after, I mean, I'm not going to shit on Catchpoint too much, but I felt like the Doom Patrol tag team in Evolve was, it was good, but it wasn't what I was, it wasn't what I was like kind of expecting. Um, and then I thought that the Workhorseman came in and really kind of took essentially the same dynamic that the Doom Patrol was doing and really kind of perfected it and made it work so that the tag team division stood out as something completely separate from the rest of the Evolve roster, because uh, you know, the rest of Evolve was a lot of grappling, a lot of mat wrestling, and they were doing a lot of go-go-go, kind of your textbook, super indie-style matches. Um, and I just thought that Anthony Henry and James Drake did a great job of that. Um, then you get into the big feud in PWX between him and Anthony Henry as their friendship kind of breaks apart. Um, and they have a really, really awesome tag team ma- or a singles match against each other for the titles um, that was just... Uh, yeah, really good stuff. And so James Drake just super stands out to me as a, a well-rounded worker who uh, mixes like his athleticism, his size, his speed, all of that together uh, to produce a lot of really fun, intriguing matchups um, that uh, I've enjoyed like the entire year. He's been one of my favorite workers in pretty much everywhere that he pops up. Yeah, I've liked James Drake a lot this year. Um I liked him a lot last year, too. I remember kind of like last year, you weren't really, really sold on him. And I like how quickly that turned around um, once James Drake started having more singles matches. Yeah, I mean, it was the, it was the mix of that, and it was uh, and that tag team with Anthony Henry that really kind of helped make him stand out a lot more for me this year. Um, and yeah, I think last year I was not that into him, honestly. But uh, but he's he turned it around for me. All right, so my number 38. Uh, Joey Janela. I'm not sure if you have him or not. I have got him uh, higher, actually. All right. Wasn't sure if you have Joey, but I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, me too. Um, my 38 is Filthy Tom Lawler. <laughs> okay, I did not expect that one. So, no? Filthy Tom. Um. Obviously, he had a pretty long layoff from wrestling. He was gone for about nine years. Um, you know, he just, I guess he was just lazy. Uh, decided to get some, I guess, Ukrainian uh, gymnast pregnant, have a couple kids and all that. I think also maybe he uh, he worked for the um, Wrestling Observer. I think he does a podcast with them. So he was really, he just turned into more of a wrestling fan. I think he would dress up like some of the wrestlers sometimes, like for uh like different events. He's one of those guys who would dress up like a wrestler at events, you know? And, uh, then I guess he just decided that he had had enough of it and he was going to get back in the, uh, in the game. Um, he obviously knew that if he wanted to be a wrestler and to be able to keep up with the real athletes in professional wrestling, he was going to have to take some performing enhancing, uh, supplements. So, uh, he got into that and then, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, there's a lot of guys, and obviously I'm fucking around, he's a UFC fighter, everyone. Um, <laughs> he got busted for taking some kind of drug and then went back to wrestling. Um, 
he works a style that is fitting for what I really like. Um, you know, I got Josh Burnett at 50. I'm going to have Tom Lawler higher uh, because he's had so many more matches. Um, all of his matches are great. He's a really good grappler. He mixes that UFC style with the pro style super well. Um, he's picking, he's using like Mr. Perfect spots in between, uh, in between like his, his triangles and his submission game and his sprawls and all this. Um, just really, really tight grappling, obviously. Um, had some phenomenal matchups. Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, um, great match with uh, Dominic Greeny, Dan Severin match that was really good. Eddie Kingston match that was great. Uh, Mike Bailey match that was like knockout amazing. Um, Black Label Pro stuff where he's working this great heel. Everywhere he's really working this phenomenal heel kind of gimmick. Um, just uh, just one of the honestly one of the best kind of just pure straight up heels in wrestling right now. He's always a, just a fucking asshole. He always gets a bunch of heat. He's he's not afraid of that. I bet it's because he's just not even worried about selling gimmicks and stuff or. Or, you know, maybe he is, and maybe he just knows that, like, he'll sell more gimmicks if he's an actual good heel, and, like, it's kind of a novel concept. Uh, really good match with Matt Riddle, obviously. Um, good match with Ethan Page. Great match with uh, Jeff Cobb in MLW. Um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, like I said, he works a style that I really, really enjoy. Um, he is just basic, basic grappling MMA style grappling, but... Um, like I said, he's able to have that old school pro wrestling style uh, antics as well that really kind of make it all stand out even more. Listening to you just list off all those matches, I would not have thought Tom Lola's resume was that extensive this year. Yeah, he actually had a good amount of matches that were pretty much all really good. So to move on to my uh, number 37, my number 37 is Io Shirai. Okay, I do not have her on the list this year, So a bit of a, a, a drop-off since I had her in my top 20 last year. Um, part of that comes from the fact that I did not watch as much Joshi, but another part of that comes from the fact that Io Shirai disappeared for a little bit. Um, she was having a very strong start to the year. Maybe even a stronger start than than she had to her twenty six to her twelve to her twenty some twenty sixteen matches against um, Shayna Baszler, Viper, Kyrie Hojo. Um, she was just delivering in every single aspect. Um, the title switch against Mahayu Iwatani was very very great and blurred the lines between um, what was real and what was fake. But um, with Io, I'm telling selling of her neck. Um, but then after that, she took some time off. Um, that was due to the rumors of her going to WWE. And I for sure thought she was gone. But um, turns out she failed a physical, failed a physical. And that is what led to her coming back to stardom. And I haven't seen any stardom since then. And since it's Io Shirai, I'm just assuming that it was obviously good, great, whatever. But since I just haven't seen the stuff, I couldn't have her higher. But... It doesn't change the fact that Io Shirai is still one of the most talented wrestlers on the planet. Um, and that having Io Shirai back definitely still gave stardom um, someone more reliable to um, have on the roster with uh, Kyrie Hojo leaving and Tony Storms being future, not being um, super sure right now. So 
whenever I get back into watching more Joshi, Io Shirai will like come back to mind as one of like the top top tier wrestlers on the planet. But because of that um lapse in viewing, Io Shirai fell down a little bit. Yeah, and I'm I'm right in the same boat. Everything I saw from Io this year was at her normal, pretty awesome level, but uh, just didn't see enough. Right. What was your thirty-seven? My thirty-seven. This is one I won't be sure of. Is Ilya Dragunov? Ilya did not make my list, and I was thinking, um, maybe if we got one last title match, um, at the anniversary show, that he might have been able to make my list. But, uh, yeah, just barely missed it. Okay. Um, for me, I mean, he's in probably the match of the year. Um, so he's got to make the list, I think. Um, but then comparatively, I mean, all of 16 Carat, he was phenomenal. Um, his feud with John Klinger building up into kind of going into it and then coming out of it was great. Uh, the feud with Avalanche, um, I, I, I am not like a big Avalanche fan, but I really love Ilya with with Avalanche. Every time is just always really really good. Um, the three way with Yearn and Klinger was was phenomenal. Um, the street fight again with Avalanche after that was great. Um, yeah, I could definitely see where you're coming from. One more big title match might have helped, but but uh, yeah, I thought he was I thought he was pretty. Pretty damn good. Uh, the match with the Mac just at Broken Rules recently um, was, I mean, I don't know if I liked it as much as I've heard other people. I definitely liked it, but it wasn't as good as some of the Mac stuff. But also the Mac is kind of, I think, just starting to kind of work out this heel character. Um, so, yeah, for me, um, he's got some really insane highs. Uh, not the hugest resume as you would expect from someone in WXW, honestly. Um, but his highs are just too high for me to leave off the list. Yeah, I don't think he's like dissimilar to like maybe like a I don't know, like a Shibata case. Where like Shibata, like if, if someone was very much inclined to, they could realistically have Shibata on their list just based on like three or four, maybe five matches they liked a lot. In Ilya, yeah, let's like, say someone, Quentin. Let's just say someone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm thinking about it, and it's like, if Ilya, I don't know. I'm, I've never really been a big fan of Ilya as far as like being on the shotguns. I don't think he's like really like, terribly good there. But whenever he shows up on a big show, um, I think he always delivers. He mentioned the stuff with Avalanche. That stuff was surprisingly very good. He has a match with Mark Haskins. Um, on progress, I mean not progress. I mean the WSW London show that I liked a lot. Um, obviously, the sixteen carat run was very good. Um, I think I think the feud with Bad Bones and him and Bad Bones kind of being his career rival has led to some very very good matches, great matches even, and will continue to lead to great matches. Um, I think if I just got that one more um, title match or just that big title win even, then Ilya might have made my list, but. He just barely missed it, and um, love the guy, um, his and his animated facial expressions and his hard hitting matches and just everything about him. But just barely missed it. He's probably one of the most intense wrestlers on the planet, yeah. though. I mean, yeah, he just his facials and he throws himself into everything. He is 
he is something special. And, and you talk about he hasn't been good on shotgun, but I mean, when shotgun really started and he was the first like shotgun champion, he was like the man on shotgun. So yeah. that, that show was kind of built on his back. It's kind of funny that he hasn't really been at the star of shotgun this year. Like he has been in previous years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you said, when shotgun started, it was really the Ilya show. And in the last couple of years, it just kind of hasn't been like, and I get it. Like, when people are signing up to the main event status, like they're not really the ones like showcased on shotgun like that. But I don't know with Ilya, like I feel like if, if he just had a little bit more there, then we'd be having a different conversation. Um, with my 36, I'm going to go with a man that I've always liked, but kind of had to redeem himself in the eyes of a lot of fans. And that's Jordan Devlin. Oh, just outside. He's my 52. I uh I wanted to get him on the list real bad because he had a great year this year, but did just kind of just didn't make it. It was actually kind of funny seeing how many people seeing like when their first time looking at Jordan Devlin just dismissed this guy as complete garbage um, in January when a UK tournament happened. And granted, I'm not saying his performance in that match was good either against Martin Stone, but the way people just made him seem like he was complete garbage was actually kind of strange to me. As someone that got introduced to OTT um, in 2016, Jordan Devlin was constantly a highlight of these shows. And so I knew Jordan Devlin was good. So after that, what Jordan Devlin does is he sees what people are saying about him. And then Jordan Devlin turns that into having banger after banger after banger on every single show he's on. Whether it's on F, whether whether it's in Fight Club Pro or in his home promotion in, in OTT, Jordan Devlin made it a mission that he was going to have a great match every single show he is on. Whether it's against Moose, David Starr, Matt Riddle, Shane Strickland, whoever, Jordan Devlin's going to go out there and have a fantastic match. He's going to go to Fight Club Pro. And in a promotion that's loaded with Fight Club Pro with like these big indie names that are coming in, these international names, to me, the breakout star has been Jordan Devlin. I think Jordan Devlin is probably the best heel in the company. I think that if you made Jordan Devlin the Fight Club Pro champ, that they wouldn't miss a beat. Because Jordan Devlin has um grew in that promotion so much that I fully believe that he could do this and it wouldn't feel out of place. I think Jordan Devlin has done so much this year um, as far as redeeming himself, but not only redeeming himself, showing growth as a performer, where he really made his mark in 2016 as a heel, but now he's kind of floating into into this tweener space because he's just so damn good in the ring that it's hard to deny him. And he has this title match coming up with Mark Haskins um, on December 9th, and that should really be his crowning moment, um, being in the Irish National Stadium. Um, that he finally gets the big moment and the Irish-born guy gets the OTT title. But um, yeah, I've loved Jordan Devlin this year. And if you were somebody that wrote him off in January because of a, of a, of a bad performance um, in the UK tournament, then you've really done yourself a disservice because you're missing out on one of the best wrestlers on the planet. Yeah, and you talk about him taking, not just taking like people turning on him and talking shit about him, as like an uh, uh, inspiration to do well, he actually directly t- took it and used it. I mean, mm-hmm. that hate that was on there t- is kind of a big part of what turned him into such an amazing heel. 
because people already disliked him. So instead of trying to fight it, he just went along with it and leaned in and made sure that people fucking despised him. Um, they didn't just dislike him, but he made people fucking hate his guts. And uh, yeah, I mean, on top of that, his work speaks for itself. Um, he does a really, really good job of towing the line of not being too good. Um, he's already getting there a little bit. The crowd's in, starting to get into him, but it took a long time. But his matches, a lot of times, I felt like he didn't he didn't baby so, babyface himself with his work, which mm-hmm. a lot of people it's hard to do that to not turn yourself babyface because you're such a good worker. He was able to hold that off for a long time. Um, but unfortunately, I think it's getting to the point where when he wins that title, if he wins the title. Um, the crowd's just going to go nuts. They're going to be super into him. And, and, and they're just going to... Yeah, he's going to get a baby face after that. Um, so my 36, I think that there's probably no chance that you have uh, the Sandwich Squad on your list. <laughs> yeah, I did not have the Sandwich Squad, although I did actually kind of consider them as um, I don't know, as a, um, as a complete act, but they've had too much single stuff to really like justify that either. Right, and that, I mean, that's true, but that's why I, I'm putting them as a team, because I think that just their tag work speaks for itself as right. as an act being this level. They did have some good singles matches. I would say that they had a good amount of singles matches that were really playing into, directly playing into feuds for the characters and for the team. So, kind of kind of fudge it and count that as well, but um, their action from the beginning of the year, first thing that it shows that they did was the Apocalypto with the the, uh, the Hardy Boys, which I kind of even forgot about that by this point. Uh, they were playing up some cheesy bullshit in that, but they were really they were really bringing it home, so I'll give them some credit on that one. Um, from there, I mean, they're just the... Uh, they're the bruiser and the crusher, kind of. They're these two twin, unstoppable monsters um, that are still super loved and beloved by the fans. Um, they've got an infectious chance with the eat, 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 and they play around with the fact that they're both two big old boys. Um, they, they play a lot of their humor off of that fact with the sandwiches and the names of their moves and everything they're doing, and they really embrace it, and the crowd fucking loves them. There's times where they're the most over guys in the in CWF. Uh, had some good good stuff in Nova Pro here and there. Not a lot, but but definitely good matches, especially a match with the Carnies. Um Match with Dominic Garini and John Kerman, uh, super quick but good. Uh, match with Cutie and the Beast, or actually with the Bo Crockett and the Carnies. I think they haven't had any matches with Cutie and the Beast because they broke up by that time this year. Um, but yeah, then the CWF work is where it's all at. Carnoodle Cup, uh, they were great throughout the Carnoodle Cup, eventually uh, making it all the way to the finals and winning the thing. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean... Great tag team, quintessential tag team, walking tall baby faces, not always my style, but I really get into it, especially because both of them can sell really well underneath. They both have legitimate, credible offense. They, uh, yeah, they're just kind of twin monsters, man, and it's it's kind of cool to see the crowd get behind them. They're they're really lovable. They're, like I said, infectious kind of, uh, kind of act that just uh, it's hard to not get into and not get behind them. Mm-hmm. And I've always really enjoyed them when I watch them, but because just in general, I haven't watched much wrestling weekly TV this year. Um, they definitely suffer, for, suffer from that, even though CWF is definitely the best weekly TV out of everything that I'm not watching regularly. Um, but yeah, I've always really loved them. I really enjoy Aaron Biggs. Um, Mega Mercenary is very good when he gets a chance to. 
even in singles matches. So I really enjoy those guys and glad they made your list. All right. So my number 35, uh, again, not really sure if you have this guy, if you're going to have this guy or not, but, uh, big Michael Elgin. No, no Mike Elgin on my list this year. All right. Um, this is kind of this is gonna kind of gonna um, kind of gonna be a weird one because I'm not really sure there's been anybody on either of our list these past few years where I kind of account for them being a promoter too, and I think Michael Elgin was very very good in New Japan this year. Um, February the amazing 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 Tetsuya Naito match from New Beginning on Osaka. Um, I think once we get to G1. He's one of the best guys in G1, just having bangers like every single time against Kazuchika Okada, Kenny Omega, Zoshi Kojima, Evil. Um, but since he's a guy that also works everywhere on the indies, that's not that's not just where his um his resume stops. Um, he obviously has some stuff um over WrestleMania weekend. He has some stuff um in his own in his own promotion in Glory Pro. Has stuff in AAW. Has stuff um. Um, uh, I'm blanking right now, but because Mike Logan is a guy that has the New Japan stuff and has the indie stuff to go off of too, as a volume guy, there's no, there's not really many people that you can put above him. Um, I also think he's done a fantastic job running running Glory Pro. Um, it's a promotion that a lot of people like were kind of making fun of because it was taking so long to get off the ground and they were planning so far in advance. But I think as Glory Pro started to um get running more and more. I think Michael Elgin has done a fantastic job running that promotion. Um, you know what he does there that he doesn't get, I think, enough credit for? What? is He gets the most out of himself mm-hmm. as a as a kind of draw and a big-time act that people can get into and get behind, but he also doesn't make himself the focus of the company, and that's yeah. a really, really tough kind of line to... to walk and he does it perfectly with glory pro honestly mm-hmm. and a lot of people would like look at the matches he's booking for himself and be like oh that's elgin just booking his own dream matches i'm like on some level yeah but he's not putting himself on last he's not when he's facing himself when he's booking himself versus cody Rhodes, he's not going on last when he's booking himself versus matt riddle he's not going on last when he's booking himself versus jeff cobb he's not going on last so even if he's having like these kind of special attraction matches you still have guys like uh, Myron Reed or Jake something or Alex Daniels or Jason Kincaid that are in the main event and not Michael Elgin. So you can't forget his buddy Kurt Stallion. <laughs> uh, what a dummy! He got himself in a little bit of trouble recently. <laughs> um, not not Big Mike's fault that um some of his students tend to be dumbasses, but um, yeah, I've just loved um a lot of his New Japan work. He's a guy that um, is still working regularly on the indies, so his volume is going to be high. And I just and I just love what he's done with his promotion. Um, he's a guy that a lot of people probably wouldn't have expected to run a promotion so well, since he tends to be a very um, open and emotional guy. But I think he's done a very good job um, kind of separating his emotions and him wanting to book himself in big matches versus like what's good for the um, better of everyone else in the promotion. Yeah, and that's a big deal. Like I said, that's that's under I think undersold is that he uses himself as a draw. He 
honestly exploits himself as a draw better than I would imagine because realistically, I don't think of Mike Elgin as a dream match draw kind of guy, mm-hmm. but he's able to get that out of himself by the way he promotes his company. But yes, he pushes his students as the top acts. He makes himself um, feel like he's, yeah, he's a big time draw, but the other guys are the main events. They're the stars and all that. And so like he, he definitely deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, and if I had been paying more attention to the tag league, maybe he would have snuck his way onto my list. Mm-hmm. Um, just because from what I've seen so far, him and Cobb are just having some insane fucking matches. Um, but unfortunately, I am not caught up on the tag league, so I haven't seen it all. And uh, otherwise, I mean, he's been good. But but and I will admit, I haven't watched Glory Pro as much as I should. I haven't seen every show. I've seen a few of them here and there. But uh, yeah, that's part of it as well. Um, okay, so my 35, I think, I would guess, is not on your list. But we'll find out. I think he's not on most people's lists, honestly. Um, but he, you'll, again, you'll, you'll kind of see the common thread when it comes to my, my taste of wrestling. Um, because it's Hideki Suzuki. No, Hideki Suzuki did not make my list, although I really was considering him for the early portions. Yeah, and for me, the strong world title reign is really kind of his 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 lot, his claim, his everything for the match. He's had some other good tag match stuff here and there, a um, little bit of stuff, uh, especially the match with uh, with Sato in Zero One was really good. Um, but otherwise, I mean, his entire argument is based on his uh, strong title run um, that I have just adored uh, every match I have had probably above four stars, uh, some of which dipping a lot closer to even five stars. Um, I just, his grappling style, the story that he's telling from match to match, uh, the way he approaches, I think some people you could kind of get bored and think, oh, he just does the same thing. I really see him. He tailors his offense. He tailors his work based around who he's facing. Um, you know, when he's was, when he was really smart to win the way he won the title, it's like, he knew that kind of in a, in a way is putting over Sakamoto as what he is, which is um, almost undefeatable, especially in the strong division uh, sense. So he kind of drew him out, uh, took him to this time limit draw first, um, really wore him down. And then when he got his next chance at the title, um, he was not able to you know stand up to him again because he had already kind of set him up. And I thought that that was a, Really, really kind of a cool way to do that. Then from there, um, he has the match against Okabayashi. Uh, Okabayashi, he's attacking the arm, and, you know, that's Okabayashi's game is his big, strong upper body. So he's, you know, he's focusing on that the whole way through. Um, And, yeah, so I just think he kind of – he has different styles of what he's looking for depending on the match. Uh, The match with Kamatani um, was – he was, you know, kind of, I think, working leg stuff. Um, Kawakami was very obviously working more, uh, to kind of knock him out with big throws, suplexes and stuff because of, uh, kind of his weaknesses. And again, it's just, it's, it's, it just shows he's got this depth of game. He's not just bringing the same style against every opponent. He's coming up with different unique ways to take out each guy. Super cerebral. I've heard arguments about that. He kind of makes almost everyone look like shit. Um, I don't really see it. I think that he he just is a really really kind of old school worker. It takes a lot to get him to uh, to kind of sell anything. But 
But them's the breaks, all right? <laughs> you got to earn it. He came up in a really tough uh, environment with the snake pit, and I think that uh, he respects the people that he respects. He definitely sells big time for, you know, uh, Sakimoto, Yuji Okabayashi, and he doesn't sell for young punks who he doesn't think deserves it. Um, and I, you can't blame someone for that because, uh, you know, like that's how you keep your character strong in wrestling. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely one of my favorite champions going right now. I, like I said, all of his matches really kind of knock it out of the park for me and, uh, really make me appreciate him through and through. So, uh, yeah, that's my, uh, kind of sales pitch on, on Suzuki, even though I know a lot of people kind of can't stand him this year. <laughs> um, I'm not in the, I'm not in the camp that can't stand him. I just haven't really been into him post the Kamatani title, Kamatani title defense. I thought both the Sekimoto matches were good. I thought the Yuji match was excellent and will be very high on my match of the year list. Um, the Kamatani match is really good. And everything after that, I just haven't really liked much at all, actually. So... That's why he's not really um on my list. But if he was, he probably would have been able to snuck into them that bottom five right there. I don't think I would have had him much higher than that. All right. So that seems fair. My thirty-four. I got you. Might have higher. I don't know. Juice Robinson. Yeah, I've got him higher. All right. So what's your thirty-four? My thirty-four is a guy you might have higher. Travis Banks. Only a little bit higher. Okay. All right. So my number 33 is someone you mentioned before, and that was Trent. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, so I guess I'll start with the old big hog. Um, like I said, if I had been paying attention to Tag League, I might have even had him higher. Um, Trent has become one of the best fucking selling baby faces on the planet Earth. And I think that a lot of people didn't see it until the match with Chris Hero. But uh, since then, he has put it on display for everyone. Um, really live and die with the guy as he sells on the mat in all the big tag team matches. Um, the junior tag title run with him and Rocky Romero was some of the best wrestling that was going on in New Japan at the time. And that sounds crazy in a year when, you know, uh, Kenny Omega and uh, Kazuchika Okada are breaking the star rating systems, but if you were watching those matches and you were really into old school psychology and kind of southern tag structures, uh, they were like really telling you a fucking stories with the Young Bucks matches. They were really committed to having deep psychology. The match with Suzuki Goon. Um, yeah, so that that stuff was kind of his start of his year. That was really good. Um, from there, he's kind of started to mix it up here and there with the upper card guys, um, but nothing too much. So then you got the PWG stuff with the best friends versus the leaders, uh, kind of producing a lot of really great matches, singles matches, tags matches, um, just great action in general there. Um, then, you know, he's, he's now a, a heavyweight in New Japan, so we'll start to see uh, what that means in a singles way. But he's got these awesome matches with Chuck Taylor, which I have watched uh, an amount of that I've really, really enjoyed so far. I actually just got done watching um, the match with the best friends versus Cobb and Elgin. And it was like phenomenal. So, you know, stuff like that just really helps make his case. Uh, you know, like I said, just 
really phenomenal selling baby face can really put anyone over make them look like a million bucks uh believable comeback he can get small like he works small but then he's actually a pretty big dude so he can come back and be believable and just uh drips a kind of doofish oafish charisma that you just can't help but kind of fall in love with so uh, yeah that's my my trent so let me hear your trent um other than just the tag team stuff, I think this guy in his PWG work is like <laughs> maybe the best guy in PWG this year. Um, we look at the fact that he had an awesome match with Candice LeRae, um, a really great um, match with Phoenix. Then he had that awesome uh, Jeff Cobb match that I'm not sure if you saw if you were there for or whatever, but he had an awesome match with Jeff Cobb. Um Obviously, we get back to the lead um, to the leaders versus best friend stuff, and that produces some fantastic stuff. Um, leaders versus best friends from uh, Nice Boys Don't Play Rock and Roll is maybe my tag team match of the year. It's going to be in my top ten match of the year in general. Absolutely adore that match. I think it's maybe one of the best PWG matches ever. Top five, top three. Um, this Xavier Junior title match um, a couple of shows later is excellent stuff. Obviously, the stuff in New Japan. Against the Young Bucks is phenomenal. And some of the most motivated work I've seen from the Young Bucks in a very, very long time. Um, the Long Beach match um, with the um, Herbert Meltzer driver is one of my favorite tag matches of the year. And it culminates in a very big moment at the end of the, sh- at the, end of the match where Rocky Romero announces that Trent is going heavyweight. Um, and since Trent has gone heavyweight, he's had two pretty damn great matches. One with Yujiro Takahashi, which no one would expect, and then the other one with Kenny Omega, where Kenny Omega went out of his way to put Trent over as someone that needs to be taken seriously um, in match and on the microphone. So, while I've loved Trent, I thought he had a great 2016, even better 2017. I think he's a guy that could, as poised to have an even better 2018 if the stars align. Yeah, that's, I mean, you hit it all on, on the head rare with that. I mean, the guy is definitely going to become a superstar and it's it's kind of cool i mean it's actually really cool to see him growing and becoming better um so my 33 is a guy who we were kind of just talking about or you know he's a uh, very close to trent it's uh chuck taylor and i had chuck taylor at 42 yeah i'm at 42 okay so you yeah i said i had him earlier so i had both of them or actually i had trent higher than or trent lower than you and chuck higher than you that's kind of mm-hmm. funny um what did you say you had him at 42? Yeah. Ah, damn, I had Trent at 43. We were so close to having them fl- switch. So that would have been really <laughs> funny. Um, so for me, what makes Chuck show up higher than Trent is uh, the Dustin work, obviously, and Evolve is yeah. the best work of um, any anyone, really. No, I actually really did like the Dustin work and Evolve quite a bit, but yeah. that's not what makes his case. Uh, for me, what makes his case is the PWG World Title Run, the uh, the stuff with Zack Sabre Jr. that really brought in a lot of drama, uh, the super recent stuff with uh, with Ricochet that um that adds to it. His stuff actually this year in Jakara has all been pretty good. Still kind of playing up the Dustin stuff with his name being sold. Um, so yeah, for me that's kind of it. Uh, Gentlemen's Club, some tag team matches, really fun, great match with a. Uh, with Mark Haskins at uh, Fight Club Pro. Yeah, that was really good. 
Yeah, and then the World Tag League stuff. I mean, um, I haven't watched all of it, but like I said, from the stuff that I saw, I've really enjoyed, and I'm hearing from people who are watching all of it that Best Friends are like the standouts of the tour, and I'm not shocked because they're they're bringing it. I mean, mm-hmm. they are fucking good, and it's funny because they were like a comedy tag team that people did not take seriously, and then now I think people are seeing just how fucking good they are. Like, both of them are amazing. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, for me, that's what puts Chuck on the higher situation is just, I, I really liked, uh, I liked a lot of his, um, his single stuff in PWG, Chikara and, uh, Fight Club Pro. Well, well, Trent had some great stuff as well, obviously, but, uh, but Chuck just brought some, brought some more emotion mm-hmm. out in me in a different way, not just in the, the actual ring, but some of his promo stuff and all that as well. Um, and, uh, because I could sneak in a little bit of Dustin from, uh, Evolve, that also adds to his, um, to his thing. Cause I thought that that Dustin stuff was some of the most compelling heel work that was going on at the time. Uh, just cause like the layered character of, of being this kind of weird tears of a clown thing that he's upset that kind of everyone turned their back on him and doesn't take him seriously anymore. You know, that really... That kind of got me. I like that quite a bit. So that's why I'm uh, pretty high on uh, on old Dustin there. And this was kind of his um, gold watch year too, I think. Um, you know, finally, yeah. Yeah, finally getting a contract somewhere in Ring of Honor. I'm not sure if he's completely signed there, but he's been working almost every single show in Ring of Honor. Um, being in PWG for nearly 10 years and getting the world title finally. Um, getting this big break to work World Tag League for New Japan. Like, if you're someone that's known about Chuck Taylor, like this is a very big year for him because this is a year where a lot of things that you may have never thought would happen so late in his, into his career are coming to fruition, and you just can't help but be like happy for him. And he's also bringing bringing it in the ring. The Zack Sabre Jr. stuff was excellent, and I don't know, but like I thought I would never have imagined Chuck Taylor and Zack Sabre Jr. would have that kind of creative chemistry, but they just do. Zack Sabre Jr. brings a kind of seriousness to Chuck Taylor that I really like, and I like that it's kind of rare, but that fire that he had in the um, in the second title match was awesome. The um, desperation he had in the first title match was great. Um, I just love what those Zack Sabre Jr. matches brought out of him, and I can't wait to watch the Ricochet match um, from All-Star Weekend whenever that comes out. But, yeah, in a year where... Maybe his like output isn't super high. He was getting a whole bunch of chances, and I just can't help but be happy for the guy. Yeah, that's a that is definitely a good point. I mean, he um, he deserve he's earned his big time kind of send off, and uh, he's making the most out of it. So yeah, it is. There is something a little nostalgic, I guess, and a little kind of sappy, uh, you know, Hallmark Channel ish about the whole thing, but. Uh, He's also really delivering just solidly when it comes to wrestling as well. Mm-hmm. So my number 32, you haven't said him yet, so I'm guessing you have him higher, is Mark Andrews. Yeah, but ever so slightly, but unfortunately we'll probably miss him tonight. Mm-hmm. So what's your 32? My 32 is Dominic Guarini. Mm-hmm. I did not have um, Dominic, but I did really like this guy this year um, after I wasn't kind of sold earlier in the year, but he's won me over by the end of the year. Yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy because he can he can work heel, 
like he's doing an evolve as kind of the the assassin for Catchpoint. Um, he can also work babyface like he did in CWF and his feud with Kane. Um, he's really becoming a star in AIW, a local kind of a local legend esque character. Also running their school as well, and really being a just like a, an important cog in the system. Um, he also can just come in and have sick grapple fuck matches and like Nova Pro with random dudes like John Kerman and stuff, and then also in uh, Black Label Pro in random multi-man matches. He's a guy who kind of hit the ground running. Uh, super young rookie, not really... I don't think really appreciated for just how young he is because he does have an old look. He's got a great shooter background. Uh, decent personality, charisma. Like I said, I mean... When he plays all these different characters, he's not just the same guy everywhere. He really is bringing like different style, different facial expressions, different everything to the matches. So he's really kind of very inept, very adept, very talented at pro wrestling at a super young age and a super early point in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes because unfortunately, like I said, if he... Uh, He's spending a lot of time in this home promotion at AIW, staying at home just because he's it's kind of going good for him. He'll probably nothing will ever happen. But if he continues to work and focus and move forward, he could actually be a pretty big time breakout star at some point. Um, unfortunately, with the way WWE is, he'd have to get in a totally different shape. But I mean, with the Indian landscape being so different now, like, and with big companies all around the world offering decent money. Um, for you know still staying independent he actually could make a pretty big career out of pro wrestling uh just because he's really naturally gifted at it obviously um so yeah he's a young guy but super phenomenal plays a lot of different roles in a lot of different places and uh and is just like knockout talented and like i said uh there is a common theme on my list grapply guys guys with shoot backgrounds just kind of they kind of tick the boxes for me, and uh, it's hard for me not to uh, think very highly of them. Um, with Dom, I really um, it only t- it took me a couple months, but I am really into him. I love the Kane Justice stuff. Um, I love whenever I saw him pop up in Nova Pro. That John Carmen match was absolutely fantastic, and I'm very excited for the, um, their No Ropes match that's going to be happening soon. Um, but yeah, every time I see Dominic, I think he gets better. And that's like the best thing you can say for a guy that's super young into his career is that you want to see improvement every time they come out. And that's what I'm seeing from Dominic um, every show. So I think we actually blew um, through this round pretty fast because we have a lot of crossover and you having people higher than me. So I'm actually on my last person for the night. Are you ready to get this out of the way? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear your... Uh... My 31 is someone you just mentioned, Travis Banks. Oh, nice. Um, all right. Well, I guess I think we've been doing whoever has them higher goes, I think. Or is, are we doing it the other way? It doesn't matter. Um, man, it's a very weird year for Travis. Um, at least for me. It's been very conflicting as a viewer. I was very high on Travis Banks last year. Um, I was one of the people like pushing the fact that Travis Banks was having awesome stuff with Fight Club Pro, and that sque- and that's what squeezed him onto my list last year. Um, I knew that he was going to be a bigger deal this year. 
I didn't expect that it would become at the hands of TK Cooper and Dahlia Black having to leave for a little bit. But Travis Banks will be becoming a bigger star and not everyone can see that coming. What did happen, though, was progress got really heavy-handed in the way they're pushing Travis. Um, in the time I've been watching progress, watching pretty much every show they've ever put out, um, even from the rises of Willow Spray, Marty, um, um, Mark Haskins, Marty Skrull, Jimmy Havoc, um, whoever else. I can't think of any other time it's been as heavy handed, um, as it has been with Travis Banks. The Terminator Travis stuff really got to me and it changed the entire way that his wrestling was going, at least in that company. Um, I don't have a problem with no selling or no selling or delayed selling or, fighting spirit spots or whatever, that stuff has never really bothered me. But when the commentary is literally like predicting it and telling you what's going to happen, then that becomes a different issue because then it's not organic and then it's not natural. And a lot of the, and a lot of the point of that stuff working is it coming across as natural and organic and believable. And it's not that Travis Banks isn't believable as this Kiwi butt saw. It's that when you tell me it's coming, then all the, anticipation and excitement that I have for it kind of goes away. That being said, still having awesome, awesome matches. If the South Pacific power trip did not get broken up earlier, like so early and TK Cooper didn't get hurt again when he came back, we could be having them in the tag team of the year conversation because they were killing it to start the year. Um, WrestleMania weekend against uh, Doom Patrol and JML. Um, Chapter 45 against Mustache Mountain. Um, chapter 43 against Ring Comp, killing it every single tag match. Um, once TK Cooper has to leave, or even before that, Travis Banks having great matches with Jordan Devlin and Jack Sexsmith, the um, Super Strong Style 16 run against uh, Jimmy Havoc and Flamita, um, the final against Tyler Bate that I really, really enjoyed, um, the Fight Club Pro stuff I thought was very good up until a certain point. Uh, he's just a guy that pops up on every single show imaginable. So whether it's a WXW show earlier in the year or an RPW, I feel like he's delivering. Lucha Forever, I feel like he's delivering. OTT, whenever he shows up, I feel like he's delivering. What still gets Travis on my list is the range of shows in Attack Pro Wrestling. I think as the Sergeant Banks character, he was amazing um, show the range he has this like goofy guy that's in on the joke and can't take it seriously while still having really good matches against guys like Eddie Dennis. Now that he's kind of broke away from the anti-fun police and he's playing this uh, new character of stupid, sexy tra- Travis Banks, I think it's showing even more personality than he had hidden before. I really enjoy Travis. I love the guy. I think he's very talented. I think he's a nice dude. And I'm happy that he's been so successful. And he still has a lot of great matches and a lot of volume. So, like, you can't deny the fact that he's been one of the uh, most uh, successful guys in wrestling this year. But because the place where he's hardest pushed, um, I feel like they kind of dropped the ball on him and went too far in some directions. That has kind of really damaged my perception of him. Um, And that's not fair to him. He's not doing anything wrong. But my perception of Travis Banks really got damaged um, due to just how he was pushed in progress this year. That is it. I mean, 
Defini- the definitive Travis Banks 2017 story there, folks. Um, and you shouldn't expect it from anywhere but the dead, right? That's where it's going to come <laughs> from is me and you uh, to break this guy down. Fuck, I mean, yeah, he is amazing. He is everything good about Davy Richards with none of the bad parts. Right. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He's able to fucking have like take a joke and play along with it. He's works well with everyone. He's respected. He shows up on time. Everyone loves him. You know what I mean? He is he's like Davy Richards if he was like just a good solid dude. And it's just it's depressing because I don't think progress fucking gets it. And it's just another example of where progress just they drop the ball because they're they're I hate to say it, but they're just inept. It's almost like they don't – they're not able to understand how humans think. They can't, like, understand what makes people enjoy stuff. It's like what makes Travis Banks good and enjoyable is that he's super fucking beatable. That's why, like, Fight Club Pro pushing him as this underdog who lost every fucking match. Let, let, let's, get, let's get into that. Like, you know, as some people that were watching Fight Club Pro – how did the how did the push of Travis Banks start? It started because he was losing every fucking match to Zack Sieber Jr., to Tyler Bate, and whoever else they put in front of him. And he literally did not win anything until he got to um the Infinity Cup. Yeah, That's he it. wins the Infinity Cup. And then I understand that um plans change, but then And he lost his title match! Like in Fight Club <laughs> Pro, he finally wins the Infinity Cup, and then he has his first title match and he fucking loses. Yeah, like he has to use his cup again to win the title. Like that's what makes him work. He's the ultimate underdog. Like it's ah. And here's a, and here's the thing. Like it wouldn't be so bad if they also didn't like blatantly lift it from Fight Club Pro Two, because then what happens once TK Cooper leaves is that they have him losing matches, but through cheat like through cheating. Like you like now you want to push the guy, but then you can't have him lose clean either. So then when he went super strong style, and granted, I think he's having awesome matches this whole time, whether it be against Trent Seven or whoever else. He's having awesome, awesome matches. But then after he went super strong style, you have him lose every match through Pete Dunne getting involved. And I get it. Like now starting like, like the fruits of that are starting like to play like pay off a little bit because now he's like beating the guys that beat him before. But still, like that was like ruining what you have with Travis Banks. And I'm not the only person saying this. There are a lot of people who were avid progress fans. They're saying like, what the fuck happened to Travis Banks? And it's not that he's doing anything wrong. It's that the way they were pushing him just like took people out of it. And I don't think I've seen anything that bad on a rise to a title other than like Tetsuya Naito in like 2014. I mean, 2013. Oh, wow. Like, they just completely did not understand how to push a guy on the way to his big moment. Now, granted, Progress still pulled the trigger, and I think they can still do some kind of saving with Travis Banks, or Travis Banks can still save himself because he's he's just too good in the ring to be denied fully. But, like, on the road to a big title win, I don't think I've seen anything this bad since Naito in 2013. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and... The thing about it, too, was, like, some of the losses, like, talk about it. The loss to Keith Lee, the loss to Matt Riddle were kind of ridiculous because 
those were matches that you almost kind of would expect him to lose. Mm-hmm. And the point of the Fight Club Pro thing was that he was losing matches that were like 50-50, like mm-hmm. toss-up close matches. And that's what made it work, is that you're like, well, if he was really close, he could have maybe pulled this off. Or, you know, it was like a little bit of cheating or a little bit of foul play, but it wasn't... Like, him losing to to um, to Keith Lee and, like, Matt Riddle is, like, just essentially kind of burying him on his way to the title. And, yeah, like, he turns around and he was winning the matches now, but... It doesn't hurt, it it doesn't, it doesn't help like, that he, it doesn't help that on the way there, Pete Dunne made him look like the biggest fucking idiot. And I granted, <laughs> and granted, like, baby faces in wrestling are always gonna, are always gonna look kind of dumb. I get it. But Travis Banks looked especially dumb on yeah, the way to I chapter mean, 55. Well, we, we had this conversation actually today, cause as I record this, I recorded This Week in Wrestling earlier with Pete. And we were talking about Pete Dunne, and he said that, he said Pete, Dunn makes every babyface look like a fucking idiot, and he especially did it to Travis Banks. I mean, Travis Banks looked sting level stupid. Yeah, honestly, and it's fucking ridiculous to to. And again, like I understand that the people who run Progress are these big time awesome marks, and they just they love wrestling so much, and they're so into it, and they have cute nicknames to their fans, and and all this stuff. But like. Do they ever stop and think, does Glenn Joseph ever think that, like, when you watched fucking wrestling as a kid, were the commentators calling, were they calling him, like, Terminator Ultimate Warrior? You know what I mean? Like, calling him Terminator Banks just, like, kind of points out, like, oh, hey, isn't it fun and funny that this is, like, this fake comedy thing that, like, you know, a guy wouldn't actually be able to take all this punishment and keep going, so it's like he's a robot? It's like, no, I want to, like buy into it i want it to be serious and you're you're comparing him to a fictional fucking robot like it kind of ruins the mystique of him being a real guy yeah like even though that's such a dumb little thing to nitpick it's like it's really is the truth like it just it's not little either because if it's if they're playing it up so much then it can't just be a nitpick because it's literally every single travis banks match and they're the only promotion that is doing this and every everybody else would have just let it play out naturally even what culture didn't do this RevPro didn't do I, this. Like, I you know, know, and I was going to bring that up. I was going to say, how much of his what culture stuff did you work because or watch? Because they were using him better than Progress in 2017, and that's fucking crazy because it's what culture. They went out of business. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, I mean, he and he had great matches in what culture, and he was playing a, a more serious heel character in The Prestige. And, like, he made that work. Um, he was, realistically, to me, he was the star of the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. It really is kind of crazy. Like, real, like, you said this about, like, Shane Strickland, that, uh, like, Shane Strickland, like, like, you wanted him to be, like, your ricochet spot from last year. Travis Banks should be in our fucking top tens. For yes. Pe- for people like me and you that watch, like, all the European stuff, Travis Banks should be in our top tens. But the fact that he isn't, and that we're going off on him on this spot like this is kind of nuts. Well, and it's telling because he's a guy that we both have a lot to say about, but we also both don't have him above, you know, 30. We don't have him in our top 25. Mm-hmm. And it is because it feels like so much was wasted. It's like we saw it. You definitely saw something there. And like you brought up attack. I didn't even know if you were going to mention it, but the attack stuff is like so important because... 
Like, he was amazing there as well and playing up this comedy character. And his Rev Pro work was good, too, in the tag team. The little bit of WXW that they did this year was was great. I mean, they only had a couple matches, but it was good. But, yeah, it was just like, this was supposed to be his year. He was supposed to be the king made in progress. Progress had done such a good job of catapulting people in the past. And it was just failure to launch, and they completely fucked this one up. And it's just... It's around the same time that I was losing interest in progress, and it's probably, honestly, one of the main reasons that I was losing interest in progress is that I just couldn't stand that they were wasting a guy that I, I liked so much. Yeah. And even, like, someone like me, like, I've never really, like, other than last year with the Eva stuff, I didn't really completely shut off progress. But there was a lot of times this year watching this Travis Banks stuff, specifically in his matches where I was just like, Holy shit, guys. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I can't listen to this. Like, I, I need commentary when I watch wrestling. Like, I, not, not, not need commentary. But if there's commentary on a show, then I, like, I need it on. I'm not just going to turn the volume down because I'm not going to turn, like, a whole show down. So, even though I just am listening to this commentary that is just so completely, uh, I don't know, like, out of touch to what made Travis Banks work. It's just, like, making me pull my hair out, and I can't, like, really, like, do anything about it except, like, turn the whole show off. So, I'm like, man, like, I just don't get it. And to this day, I still haven't watched um Chapter 55 because I know that in that matching against Pete Dunne, they're probably going all in on that shit, and I don't know if I'll be able to take it. Yeah, it's... Ah, it's it's been a tough... It's been a tough year for progress, honestly, and they're a company that really sparked a lot of my big time interest especially in the uk scene even more um they were such a great company for a long time there and then they built they built name recognition for guys they really kind of helped launch the the kind of uk division for wwe and you know that's a whole nother thing that i don't even want to get into with them but like this year was just i think it was the first really bad year that they had like the first few years they may have not had huge shows but they i don't think they've ever had a year that was this bad honestly all right now to move on from that and you can give me your 31 so we can uh wrap this okay well well you talked about it this you know we had a lot of crossovers so the show was going fast it might be running running too fast (laughs) my number 31 is mark davis all right awesome so, uh, Dunkzilla, he shows up, uh, you know, moderately early in the year. He shows up in the UK. Um, did you, I didn't go back and watch any of his Australia stuff from earlier in the year, um, just because I'm not going to take the time to do that, honestly. Um, but he kind of hit the ground running. Um, his, first mat- his first two matches in the UK were not um, anything that I really even saw. Iron Fist... Did not watch uh, What Culture Pro Wrestling against BT Gun. I went back and watched later. But uh, for me, he shows up at the uh, the Club 100 show against Kyle Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And fucking murders it. Um, and he comes out the most unassuming guy. He's got the ball cap. Denim He's got the singlet. On. Denim shirt or denim jacket. Just looks like some dude. And then he just fucking kills it with wild-ass spot match that you would not see coming from this guy. 
Um, remember after we turn watched, around. Remember after we like both had saw, we were just like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Then they rerun the match in Fight Club Pro. Uh, it, it's fucking amazing again. And then they start tagging these guys up. Uh, they put them together um, in Lucha Forever against CCK. Uh, and they're like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is a good tag team. They they wrestled Bolarama before that in another really good match. I'm like, oh, these guys these guys are working. Like, okay, I can get behind this. Good Wrestling throws him in a four-way match that has Chris Brooks and Wild Boar. So I'm like, fuck yeah. Cool stuff here. Um, amazing base. Super cool spots. And then they win the tag titles in a match that I don't know if you heard this, but they didn't know they were winning the titles. Oh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Which is fucking nutty. They win the belts uh, off of CCK. And then you're just like, oh shit. I was like, so like, they are into these dudes. And I'm into these dudes too. And they became like the most infectious kind of tag team. Um, that you just kind of loved. Uh, turns around from there. He's got big time singles match with, with Travis Banks that I just absolutely love. Um, in the What Culture Pro Wrestling. Uh, continues to tag with Kyle Fletcher everywhere pretty much um just has like really really great matches i've heard some people talk about uh how fight club pro should have made tag team championships during the um during the dream tag team invitational thing um and what i thought about was like i kind of feel like with them already being really interlocked that like the attack tag team title should just be like considered the fight club tag team titles you know what i mean yeah like they should just like be defended on both shows honestly yeah I agree um with that. Yeah, another great match with Kyle after they've been tagging for a while he, when they both debut in Rev Pro. Um, from there, I mean, yeah, he just uh, lots of great matches all around. Um, love the match with with uh, Callus Hearts. Um, love the love the match against Chris Brooks and Pete Dunn. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna, love love, you're gonna love the Eddie Dennis match when you get around to seeing it. I like literally that was one of the next matches I was just gonna watch, so I'm super excited to see that. Um, he's in a scramble match with Sema at one point this year, which is really cool for him and really cool for me. Um, the match with FSU for Aussie Open is great. Um, yeah, I mean, the guy just has a lot of phenomenal matches. He's super likable. Um, did you see the Timothy Thatcher match in WXW? Yeah, I did. Okay, I haven't seen it yet. I'm assuming it's phenomenal, but I gotta see it. But I did think that the match with Omori and Fight Club or in Lucha Forever was like fucking off the walls great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and I'm not sure, but that might be the Infinity Cup finals too. So if, that, okay. if those if those two went out there and just called in a singles match, then yeah, they might have just like went crazy on that. Yeah, so yeah, I mean these guys are Mark Davis, it's hard to not like kind of count him as partially, you know, with Kyle, but I do have Kyle h- higher a little bit. Um, just because he's had some better singles matches, but, but yeah, like these these guys are just fucking great, and he's just like the the smoothest base. He's busting out these Claudio moves. He's got this crazy pop up pile driver that's just like fucking so killer good. Okay, um, let's, let's talk about this. Like, so when we first when, when we first saw him, pretty much we had both said like, okay, he's like he's like early Kevin Steen. That was right. like that was like between both of us. Now as time has gone on, he's literally like a mix between like Steam, Claudio, and Hero. And that's fucking right. nuts. Yeah, he's like all of my favorite guys from early 2000s indies. Like, mix into one dude. 
And yeah, he just, uh, he's just, and he's so charismatic. I mean, he is. You just instantly love him. Like, realistically, like, that's for a long time. I think me for sure, I don't know about you, but I thought that I was going to have him higher than Kyle. Mm -hmm. And that was just because I really, I'm in love with him. Like, I really, just the second I saw him, I'm just like, this guy is so fucking cool. He's so great. His, okay, his, his, Social media game is on point. His Twitter is like a fucking major must follow. Uh, constantly with good ass jokes and pictures of dogs and shit. So well, he, he he listens to Run the Jewels. Like, come on now. <laughs> yeah, right. So what do you expect? So yeah, the guy is just like um, just super lovable. So like, it, I was kind of clouded by that. So for a while, I was like, he's oh yeah, he's definitely better than Kyle Fletcher. But that's just because I really liked him a lot. But, you know, when you stop and think about it, Kyle Fletcher has had better matches. So, like, you can't kind of can't unfairly put him higher just because you like him more. But they're both just, like, super great. They're both involved in so many of the same matches anyways. At this mm-hmm. point, they're, like, intertwined with each other in a way that's just, like, really, really great. I just hope that it's able to keep going. Unfortunately, these, these tag teams get broken up nowadays instead of getting a chance to uh, kind of stick together. But... I mean, he just recently showed up. They showed up in OTT. They're kind of getting. Hopefully, they're going to get out there more. Jamesy um said that Aussie Open versus Jordan Devlin and Scotty uh, Andrews was phenomenal. And Jamesy is somebody that wasn't particularly sold on Aussie Open before um, watching them live, and he said came back love like raving about those dudes. Right, and I mean, I I pretty much trust Jamesy's taste on a lot of things, even. When it comes to the live stuff, I can definitely see kind of thinking that he overrates some OTT stuff. But a lot of times when he says something is really good from OTT, it actually turns out that it's really good. Right. So, like, yeah, it, it's tough to uh, it's tough to not take him seriously when he says it's good. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that match for sure. Um, this guy, yeah, I, I mean, it's so – we just – I kind of just got done lamenting Travis Banks and what we expected from this year. But this guy, I mean – we had no fucking expectations for him this year. And uh, he kind of blew them out of the water. Now, here's a question. Um, I know we have we both have Mark Davis. We both have Kyle Fletcher. But we've also both kind of got into some more Australian stuff. Do you have any like wrestlers who've wrestled only in Australia on your list this year? No, I did consider um, Adam Brooks for a okay. good part of this. But I think because I canceled my MCW sub, I wasn't able to go back in time. Um and look at more of his stuff. Robbie Eagles, I considered. Um, Dowie okay. James. But, yeah, I really couldn't squeeze an Australian guy on there since MCW is the most um, visible promotion, and I just hadn't re- um, re-upped my sub in time. Yeah, and I mean, like, unfortunately, MCW is the only one that, yeah, is, like, the easiest to get access to without having to essentially pay for every show. And, yeah. um and the shows didn't they weren't they didn't come out like super late, but they weren't coming out super fast. The only so one keeping the, up, the only one they put out like very, very timely to capitalize off some buzz. Well, they put out two very timely. Was the Will Ospreay Adam Brooks match and the triple threat with Osprey, Brooks and Eagles. Yeah, and then everything else was like kind of slowly leaking out, so it kind of it made it le- it made it a little bit harder to kind of want to keep or to keep up on it. But uh, there was some good stuff. It's just I just thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about because me and you have we kind of talked a good amount about Australia this year. So uh, 
I just wanted to know where you came down. So I guess that was my Mark Davis. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what uh, what your Mark Davis, if I left anything, I'm sorry, uh, Quentin, if I took all of the uh, Mark Davis talk, you know, if I bogarted it. Um, I'm not sure there's a more fun wrestler to watch right now than Mark Davis. Like, I don't think I ever enjoy watching someone more than I enjoyed watching Mark Davis this year. Um whether it be like him going out and high fiving people, uh, whether it be in a scramble match or a triple threat, in a tag match with Kyle, facing Kyle, a singles match against Travis Banks or against Eddie Dennis. I just love this guy any single setting against any single person and any promotion. I think he just is one of those foolproof wrestlers where I don't know anything he can't do. Amazing power game. He's agile and fast as hell. Um, great striking. Um, maybe the best base in wrestling right now that gets to show it very often, other than maybe Pete Dunn. But like, we meant, we like, think about the fact that we just compared this guy to being Claudio, Kevin Steen, and Chris Hero all in one. Now, there's some people that haven't seen this guy that probably sounds like crazy. We're just like blowing smoke up this guy's ass because we like him so much. But when I watch this guy, I see facets of every single person that I just named in his wrestling repertoire. And that's insane to me. And it doesn't come off as just like some indie wrestling tribute act. I think he very carefully is taking pieces of these guys and choosing what to make um his wrestling be. Um I'm not sure if you ever got around to this, but there was a, there was a six man tag from Progress Chapter 56, and it was Aussie Open and Omari versus Connor Mills and Never Say Die, and I think that was a very clear glimpse into what Mark Davis and all those guys um in that match could be, because when we get to the final stretch and Kyle Fletcher did a dive um to the floor and so did Omari, and Mark Davis grabs um one of the um. Never say die dudes by the legs for the pop-up pile driver. And he's just looking around at the crowd. And the crowd knows what's about to happen. And the like roar of the crowd starts to get like bigger and bigger and bigger. You really understand them. People know Mark Davis. And people really, really, really love Mark Davis. So when he gills up and does the pile driver, it's the biggest pop. And in general, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher got huge reactions for debuting on that show. But I thought that closing stretch in particular really showed where people's heads were at with this guy. That in only four or five months, he was able to capture people's imaginations that much as, uh, I don't know, these Australian, these phenomenons from Australia. And uh, I really love him. I hope that he has a bigger 2018. I hope he had a really great Infinity Cup run. Uh, But yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about this dude. And there's not that many people I can really say that about. And granted, that's also due to the fact that uh, maybe he's not wrestling as much, so I'm not getting overexposed to him. But like, I'm watching like everything that he's doing. I've I'm watching Malucha Forever. I'm watching him in Rev Pro. I'm watching him in Progress. Watching him in um, Attack and Fight Club Pro. So I've seen most of Mark Davis that is available to be seen, and I haven't gotten tired of him yet. Just one of my absolute favorites to watch. Well, and he just, he exploded. I mean, yeah. we talked about Travis Banks last year, but Banks was like progress fight club. And that was really it yeah. um, for the, the stuff. But I mean, 
Mark Davis is wrestling everywhere in the UK almost instantly. And yeah, I mean that the trios match you brought up, I thought was like a really, really great showing of kind of um, a team fight club versus a pro Joe team. Um, And you could just, I mean, you could just completely see the difference on what the focuses are. The, the progress team. And what's sad is I don't think we're either of us are going to have any of the guys from the progress team on our list. Right. You know, but the progress team were polished characters. They had their gimmicks. They have their looks down. They, you know, you can like kind of see that, but the fight club. Connor Mills, I think is going to be a very, very good wrestler. I think. Yeah. He'll he'll get there for sure. But, but then you look at the fight club team and everybody in that fight club team could, can go Mm -hmm. and they can go at a top level. I think I have all three of those guys in my top 50. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like they are, Phenomenal workers, and all six guys are probably really close to the same level of experience, except for Davis. Davis has been wrestling for quite a while already at this point. On and, on but and like, off, but yeah. Yeah, and so it just it's just like it really shows the difference between training, focus, what you're all about, and Davis has been everywhere, super well-liked, super well-respected, and just um phenomenal worker that just has it all in this UK boom. And then the Australians coming over there um, has really kind of completely changed the landscape. This is a guy that we would have never seen if mm-hmm. he was coming up even just a few years ago. I mean, we would have literally never seen him wrestle. How many guys can you think that probably were in Australia their entire careers and just nothing ever happened for them? Yeah. There's um, too because many, of that. Too many, there's too many to name. Yeah. And so finally we get in someone who's coming through and you talked about it as he adapts different stuff, like obviously picking up things from early ROH, but he really has made it his own and he does not, he doesn't come across like a throwback tribute act wrestler. He really comes across like his own thing and he makes everything work for himself. I mean, I think this, I'm really happy that, that we kind of <laughs> didn't finish off on tra- the Travis Banks talk and we're finishing off on something a lot more, a lot happier here. Um, because, yeah, I just, uh, I, this guy just feels like he has all upside potential in Mark Davis and uh, just, yeah, just essentially nothing but, nothing but potential really from him. And I think, like, it really is worth, worth noting, like, when we compare like guys like Fletcher and Davis to like these all-time indie greats, like I like mean this when I say like Kyle Fletcher like reminds me of El Generico, like I mean that. So like I'm not like throwing it out there just because I really really like these guys. It's just when I watch these people wrestle, it's like hard for me to be like okay. Like I see El Generico in this like skinny long-haired kid that's lanky and has goofy faces like that's El Generico to me and I see all this other stuff that we just said in Mark Davis so if you haven't seen either of these guys yet I would highly recommend you doing so before um you talk about how we're just uh I don't know throwing names out there but really these guys are something special and in the time they've been in the UK and all over at these shows it's become readily apparent to me that um like they are the real deal yeah, there's no question. There is no question. But uh, I guess it's uh, time to, to head out unless you had any final kind of topics you wanted to do before we, uh, I guess, take off for this episode. 
And then we hit everything we needed to. So this was our 50 to 31. We will be back with our 31 to 11 next time. So uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time. Timothy, I hope you're ready for another two and a half hours here stuck with me. Hell yeah. Hopefully at least. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, guys. I know it. Even love ain't cause it's not cost. That clinic killed my soul. But you gotta hit the pussy roto. Now your baby mama ain't so vicious. All she want is her picket fence and you protest and you pick a sign, but them courts won't side with you. Won't let you fly solo. I wanted that act ride in Colorado that night I brought trees to blow through But it's just me and no you Stayed up till my phone died Smoking big rolling Solo It's hell on earth and the city's on fire In hell, in hell there's heaven There's a bull and a matador dueling in the sky In hell, in hell there's heaven Ah, Marcel.